This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 105. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lom Ramayasha, and don't swallow any fingers, because we've got a special podcast with you today. We've got an interview with Stefan Koza, the translator for Jujutsu Kaisen, the up-and-coming new Shonen Jump hit. On the podcast today, we're going to be talking with Safan about his history with translation and his thoughts on Jujutsu Kaisen, what makes the series stand out and special. A ton of fun and awesome stuff. It was a great conversation and can't wait for you all to listen to it. Jujutsu Kaisen fans will be in for a real treat. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this was a really fun interview. I really enjoyed being a part of the conversation. Stefan is a really cool guy, and if you're not already following him, you should do that regardless of whether you read Jujutsu Kaisen or not. Mm-hmm, and you should also check out his YouTube channel, Steady Studios, where he covers Japanese manga volume releases and does a cool job going through them and highlighting the difference between Japanese manga volumes and English manga volumes, which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm, for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to our conversation with him in a moment, but uh, we do have some news to talk about. Not not a lot. We might save a few uh, news pieces for another time, but we do have at least some stuff to go over. But uh, yeah, we might as well start off with some serialization news. And, um, you know, basically, if you're listening to this podcast, you, pro- you probably know about this already, but uh, recently Shonen Jump has been graced with two more new series. Those being uh, Zip Man from Yusaku Shibata, as well as A Gravity Boys uh, from Atsushi Nakamura. At the time of this recording, I think uh, both Zip Man and uh, A Gravity Boys' first chapter should already be out on the Show to Jump app for those who want to check it out. I've read Zip Man already. Uh, We're we're recording this podcast before uh, A Gravity Boys is out, so I haven't read that yet. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think we don't really have the time to go uh, to talk about both series in as much detail as we want to. Um, so we'll probably save that for another future podcast. But uh, for now, I, I will say Zipman so far, uh, I like it. it it's, it's, it's basically a, a tokusatsu manga so far. Like that, that's that's basically the best like description I can give of it. It's very... It's very interesting. Uh, I definitely want to read more of it. But like I said, we'll we'll probably talk more about that in particular on another podcast. And so, yeah, uh, those should be available on the Shonen Jump app for anybody uh, who wants to read those. We didn't really describe the premise of a Gravity Boys, which is that there are these four students adrift in space, and then they are given a choice by some random space god, I think, to... One of them can change their genders to become a woman and then they can like repopulate their population or something that way. And so it's supposed to be uh, this hilarious space sex change comedy. Of course, we have not read it at the time of this recording, but uh, I'm very curious to see how that premise plays out. Yeah, you're, you're right. I did forget to mention that. I, I obviously like yeah like like you said we have we haven't read the first chapter of this yet, so I'm hoping I'm I'm wrong, but. I'm usually I'm very wary about manga with these kinds of premises because at least in my experience 
they usually end up being a little exploitative, but I'm again, I'm I'm hoping I will I will turn out to be wrong because you know, I I'm still willing to give this series a chance and see how it goes, but like I said, we'll 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 have we'll have more thoughts on these series uh, on an upcoming podcast when we actually have the chance to talk about their first chapters. I have to wonder if the entire premise of the series is just them gonna try and trick the other people on the ship to drink the potion to become the girl. Is that gonna be like the entire series? Is that every <sighs> week someone is gonna come up with a scheme to trick their friends into drinking the potion to become the girl? It could be interesting. Yeah. Um, but I guess moving on from that, obviously with any any time we get new series and jump, you know, some series are unfortunately gonna have to leave the lineup. And this time a lot of series are leaving the lineup, at least four of them. Yeah, basically all the series that started alongside Samurai Eight have ended, plus Yui Kamio has ended. So, yeah. Yui Kamio, Let Loose, Double Taize, Tokyo Shinobi Squad, Beast Children, all done so. All have ended. Yeah. I think at the time of this recording, we're still waiting for Tokyo Shinobi Squad's uh, final chapter. But yeah, basically, by the time you're listening to this, yeah, all of these will be completely over. I can't say I have a lot to say about some of these series. Um, Yui Kamio, in particular, we were kind of talking off mic. I... Uh, I forget where I dropped it because I did drop it eventually just because I I really didn't think the series was that funny in the beginning. I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the comedy has been upped at all since I stopped reading it. But I I know no, it, it's not a comedy series anymore. Like it changed into a, a horror battle manga and it was really cool. It was a woman's focused horror battle manga. It was it had tons of crazy powers and creepy imagery, pretty metal stuff. <laughs> and so I'm real sad it's ended because it got pretty crazy and it was crazy fun. And unfortunately, it did not get to explore all of its ideas. I really feel that Shibashi also didn't end the final chapter in the most satisfying way because, like, the first half of the chapter is devoted to them getting out of a dangerous confrontation with the supposed final boss, and then the second half of the chapter is, well, now we're all back together and we're gonna just have some, like, goofy, fun stuff for half a chapter, but it's not as satisfying as, like, you know, you could have ended it with, like, this big dramatic thing about Kito and Yui's relationship and how they'll be uh, together and stick up for each other. You know, they're the threat of, you know, all these girl bosses and Mushi across Japan is still at large. But, you know, they're going to continue the good fight together. You know, they could have had that kind of sentiment. But instead, it's like this, they... In the last half of the final chapter, they turn it back to romantic comedy, hijinksy stuff, and the final panel is just, just like, it's not satisfying at all. It's just like this comment of, oh, this we're goofy, goofy stuff's happening. So I was very disappointed with how the the series ended because I thought, you know, even if it was a short series, it could have gone out on a really great uh, note because like the final. The old, like, the series was still fun to read right up until the end, but I thought that Shirashi made a poor choice in doing, in wrapping up the series with half a chapter of goofy stuff instead of, like, a solid, dramatic finish and, like, really, you know, nice character resolution imagery. But that's a shame. It's still better than Double Tyson's ending, which was all <laughs> kinds of weird. 
where we have a flash forward to the future where they built a prison in which Haga and Tainsei are playing this shogi game like one move a day while Tai is in the prison and it's weird. I don't understand the point of it. It was really bizarre. Like if it had ended the chapter before, you could have said, well... The series took a while to find itself, but it had, uh, by the end, kind of found something in the relationship between these four rivals, and that and that was kind of satisfying. But then this, the final chapter is like, what was the point of this? Why, why go this weird? I don't understand. Double Taisei was a series that, like, I, once I dropped it, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm glad I dropped it as soon as I could, because it, it really does sound like it just, just got so much weirder. Well, the thing is, Double Tide actually ended up being pretty fun once they introduced the four rivals. Like, the there's Haga and Goketsu, okay. uh, the prince, the rich Doma, I forget his name on top of my head, and then the Satome. Like, the, all four of them are fun. They the they had interesting relationships with the protagonists in, in terms of the rivalry. And so then, when they were introduced, I thought the series got pretty fun. There were there was an interesting story, which I think I keep getting his name wrong, but like the the rich one who feel felt like he was like fated to have to give up shogi and take on all these responsibilities and die young, like his father, because that was like just the curse of his family or whatever. So that that was mm. a particularly interesting story. Okay, and so like the series had some interesting ideas and there were interesting parts, but like the ending, that final chapter, I just scratched my head wondering what does this have to do with what came before in terms of the character development and like the, the actual development of the story it doesn't make that much sense and then uh beast children ended kind of interestingly because you had this final match between uh with sakura his name the main character and his rival teams like fought and then you know uh then there were like some wrap-up chapters where his best friend finally joined the rugby team and got acclimated to that. And then the the final note that these children ends on is that the rugby team, like there's all sorts of different people in it and you know, they're, they're all really different, but they're all coming together for one cause. And that's really cool. And like that is going to help them grow. And, and that's, that's like the real appeal of rugby is like playing with all these different people who all respect each other and all share this love of the game. So it was, it was kind of a nice note to end on, even if it like didn't end up, building to anything grand necessarily so i i will admit um you know i i did end up dropping beast children i think like four or five chapters in uh just just be just be mostly because like it was it felt like the kind of thing that like i would rather read in chunks not that i thought it was like particularly like bad or anything um but i i will i will give credit to so our good friend Maxi, he really he almost convinced me to pick it back up just 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 on the sheer fact that like it seemed like he he in particular was really enjoying it. I know uh, for a fact. So if anything, I feel sorry for Maxi that Beast Children unfortunately has come to a, come to a uh, once again a premature end. So yeah, there was potential there. Of the three that I've just talked about, Beast Children is my least favorite, but it did have the best ending of those three. And uh, Shinobi Squad, I have not read the final chapter at the time of this recording, but I generally did not enjoy that series that much anyway, so we will see. 
did it did it ever get I think I I think I asked this question before maybe but like did it did it ever get controversial ever again no like, like no. that first chapter was <laughs> just like a weird premise and then from there is just like a battle manga but I just never felt like I understood like what was interesting about Jin as a protagonist like what's really motivating him and now towards the end I guess they're giving that but it's a little too late like he just seemed like well he's a shonen protagonist but like what's motivating him why is he doing what he's doing i don't know and i felt that way for most of the the protagonists and uh, i there were some ideas and characters i did like during reading it but overall it, like of the four that have ended for sure this was my least favorite okay well um I guess really out of the four, it, it, in terms of in terms of what I'm really looking forward to covering as far as canceled jump series go, when we eventually get to these on the podcast, um, I think Yui Kamio and Tokyo Shinobi Squad are like the two I'm kind of interested in like going back to because I because I, I was going to mention with Yui Kamio earlier that like I I I wasn't sure if like. You know, maybe the comedy got better, but like from from what I had seen of it, like out of context, like it seemed like it just turned into a completely different thing altogether. So um, I don't know. I I'm kind of surprised that it didn't like turn me back onto reading it because like from the way you describe it, it so- it sounds like it got it sounds like it got a lot more interesting. Personally speaking, but like yeah, you Kamio got pretty awesome. Like that. I am very, very sad that that has ended. And then, yeah, Tokyo Shinobi Squad, like, that was just something where, because of how that first chapter started, I was wondering, like, how far it was going to go. But, like, from from what I keep hearing, like, it it didn't really, it didn't really, like, evolve at all past that. If anything, it just got less interesting. Yeah, it's definitely the least interesting of the series that have ended. Um, But I don't know, like... I, I feel like for Tokyo Shinobi Squad, we we could probably get on a one or two special guests on for that. Hopefully, if we play our cards right, because there, there are certain, yeah. there, there are certain people I would love to talk to about this series. I so so if anything, like if when and if we cover Tokyo Shinobi Squad and fall on the podcast, like I'm mo- I'm mostly looking forward to talking to special guests, if, if more than actually like covering the manga, if anything. So. There's that. Yeah, you know, I, I can definitely see the appealing points of the series. I will, I would be interesting to talk about it with people who really did enjoy Shinobi Squad and see uh, their impressions of it. Yeah, because I know there were people who did enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. but no, yeah. So that's that's pretty much about everything that's edited and jump up to this point. Again, so I I can't remember the last time we've just seen a mass exodus of like new series like this. I feel like it's been a while. Yeah. It it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does it's just like wow, like it it's 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 kind of depressing in a way, like like Jump starts up all these new series and it's just like I, I think we even talked about it on the episode like uh Beast Children, Double Taisei and Tokyo Shinobi Squad, like that round in particular, I think what from what we've covered on the show in our time doing this podcast, I think that was like probably uh, the least interesting run of jump starts we'd ever cover. Yeah, I think when we were talking about it uh, on the start, their first chapters definitely were the like the least interesting batch of the of the lot mm-hmm. for sure. Like r- really, the I think the only first chapter 
out of the bunch that we covered was like uh, that that I think we both enjoyed was probably Samurai Eight, and even then, like even then, I remember I, I'm sure yeah. I had problems, and Samurai Eight is also not been terribly good. Uh, I mean, it's no. had its ups and downs, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily that much better than any of the series that have ended. No, so like real swing and a miss on um, on Shueisha's part with these. I feel like, but. I'm, but 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 you know I'm I'm looking forward to these next two series that are coming out. So yeah, Zipman I think especially seems like it could have breakout potential. I mean, you have a former assistant of Horikoshi as the artist of the series. They're doing a basically a superhero manga in vogue right now. I mean, it seems like it has a lot of the formula for success. Oh yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. But speaking of series that are ending, a big series has actually ended recently. The fifth highest selling manga on the Oricon charts this year. None other than Neki Haruba's The Quintessential Quintuplets. It is going to be ending with its 14th volume, which I personally feel is a huge missed opportunity. Volume 14, what does that have to do with the 5 team? It should have ended with volume 5, or should it? end with volume 55 <laughs> or at the very least volume 15 there's a five in that number but 14 i don't understand completely messing up with the whole five gimmick of the series or 25 five sets of five there you go gosh darn it man wow yeah, yeah real real missed opportunities all around yeah, uh, there's a comment from artist Tarba that mentions that they had been excited about drawing a manga that would go on and on before serializing quintessential quintuplets, but found it hard to do so once the uh, serialization began, noting that manga creators who continue a manga for dozens of volumes are awesome. And indeed, it is definitely difficult to continue a manga for a long time, so even though it's a missed opportunity to not end it on an volume number that has a five in it or go for five sets of five volumes or whatnot you know it's good to see the series end like when the artist feels like they've done all they can with it instead of dragging it out yeah that's always nice to see but now let's talk about things that are ending and then beginning anew in the sense because to your eternity's first arc has apparently ended according to the 52nd issue of Weekly Shonen Magazine. And there is going to be a second arc that's going to come starting January 22nd in the 8th issue of the 2020 series of Weekly Shonen Magazine. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, to Your Eternity from Yoshitogum is something... We covered on the show a couple of years back, pretty early into its run. I have not kept up in it for a while, but it's kind of surprising to hear that basically everything that has been drawn till now is just the first part of a larger story. Like, yeah. it feels like there's so many arcs within that. So I'm going to be curious to see how this new part of To Your Eternity is going to differ from what is now going to be dubbed uh, the previous era arc, as in that the, being the first part of the series. So what is going to be the 
new part of the series. It's like going to be the current era arc, the the new era arc, whichever it is. I'm interested in seeing how the story evolves. Well, just 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 like just like the creature from from the beginning of the series, it's uh, it's it's taking shape in, into a new form. Yeah, that's really cool. But also really cool is that Real from Takehiko Inoue is returning in the next issue of Weekly Young Jump Magazine coming out in February. And we got some updates and aside from that because Real now has 16 million copies in print. And also probably the biggest news is that it is finally getting a digital edition. And this is very huge news because Inoue is one of the big holdouts on having their manga being released digitally. And so now to hear that Real will be made available digitally, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Maybe we'll get Slam Dunk and Vagabond digitally too and if that becomes available in japan maybe that can become available over here in the states so definitely something to keep an eye on look forward to that is a pretty big development oh man yeah when i saw that i was i was pretty shocked honestly like i'm like you said i'm, I'm really hoping he, i'm really hoping this opens up the doors for other works of you know ways to get uh to get digital editions because man I mean, as as much as I'm as much as I'm planning on owning all Slam Dunk physically at some point, um, it it would be it would be nice to have it digitally as well, and it would be nice to maybe own Vagabond digitally as well. Um, in a way, I am willing to double dip on in particular. So, but in terms of other cool news and other cool digital manga news, Kataka and Type Moon have announced that they're opening a new free manga website called Type Moon Comic Ace. That's going to have basically exclusively Type Moon manga. And this is going to launch on December 20th. And this is going to have some currently running Type Moon related series like Kengoro Nishide's Fate Grand Order Epic of Remnant manga. And that's going to be serialized on this new site. And this manga has been running uh, in Kodakawa's Young Gates Up website uh, previously from February 20th onwards. But there's also going to be some other Type Moon manga available on the site, including Sasaki Shonen's Tsukihime, Takeru Kirishima's Melty Blood, Dato Nishiwaki's Fate Stay Night, Hiroshi Hiroyama's Fate, Khaled Ilinar Prisma Ilya, Shinjiro's Fate Zero, Rubina's Fate Extra, Kenji Kate's Goa Ace, Sabomi Hanabana's Type Moon Gakuen Chibichuki, Seijin Takenoko's Fate Extra, CCC Foxtail, Tasko's Fate Stay Night Heaven's Feel, Akira Ishida's Fate Apocrypha, Toazuma's Lord, El Milioi 2's Case Files, and Hideo Takanaka's Fate Grand Order. Yeah, Epic of Remnant. But, yeah, so basically every type moon manga you could possibly want to read or could think of is going to be available on this website with the exception of today's video from the emia family but yeah if you're a big type moon fan and can read japanese like this is a pretty big uh cool thing because you basically get to read all the type moon manga uh, for free on this website that's pretty cool but there's also other new manga on the way because we've got a new series coming out from Hiroki, the artist behind Aho Girl. And they're going to launch a new manga in Weekly Shonen Magazine next year. We don't really know a whole lot about the premise of this new series. But 
Perhaps it may be an expansion of ideas that Hiroyuki has explored in recent Dujin works of his, like two-timing fair and square and of girls loving money, which we will talk about uh, in a little bit as well. But very, very interested to see what new series Hiroyuki will come up with, because I do like their comedic sensibilities. I quite enjoyed Ha Ho Girl, and I um, look forward to seeing what their next manga will be like. I'm also looking forward to seeing the next manga of Satoshi Mizukami of Planet Witch, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer and Spirit Circle fame because Mag Garden's Majikomi website revealed that he will indeed be launching a new manga called Sahate no Sorte on January 20th. The tagline of the manga is, when I was young, I traveled with a long, long journey. And we have a teaser image of our supposed protagonist, you know, all silhouetted besides their white coat traversing through a mountain. We see some clouds in the distance, and we see a starry night sky. So, interesting, very vague premise, but very, very curious to see more works by this author, because they always come up with some interesting stuff. But I'm also quite interested in, although I'm a little uncertain about this premise, the next series coming from Twin Star Exorcist mangaka Yoshiaki Tsukuno. Because they've got a new manga that's already out, available on Kodansha's Maga Poke app. And it's a romantic comedy about a girl with giant breasts and a boy like a small animal. And... This little boy is a actually a student council officer who feels like his life in danger because his beautiful intelligent student council president Rei Jinjuji uses her giant chest for her own ends, and when she presses her breast against Ken, he feels like she is trying to kill him. So it seems like a kind of an etchy comedy from Tsukano, and they have delved into kind of weird, etchy comedy in the past with their series Good Luck Girl, and then some gags in Twin Star Exorcist. So, curious to see how this plays out. I don't necessarily find the premise necessarily very appealing, but I do think that the teaser image is kind of funny, just the protagonist's expression. So, depending on how the comedy plays out, I'm curious, I might, and I would like to check it out. But what I really, really enjoy from this author is their series, Twin Star Exorcist. And very excitingly, now we will be able to read new chapters of Twin Star Exorcist as they come out because the series will be simul-published on both Riz's website and on Manga Plus, starting with Chapter 77, which coincidentally happens to be the start of a new arc, and I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think they planned it to start with this new arc, and what's great about it is that this can basically be like a new entry point into the series for you. I read the new chapter, and it takes place after a time skip, it's kind of like a reset, a new status quo after the major, major events of the previous arc. So it's been quite interesting, and it seems like the series is going in a quite interesting direction. And the new chapter is quite long, and it gives you kind of like an extended reintroduction to these characters if you are not familiar with the series or the premise of it. So if you want to keep up with uh, Twin Star Exorcist, yeah, I think you can start with a new chapter and enjoy it quite well. Now, I'm still waiting for Riz to, of course, finish that 
gap of uh, about four volumes worth of content between what the last most recently available chapter in the vault is to this new chapter. There's about a 16 chapter gap, which is about four volumes worth. But regardless, I was able to follow the new chapter just fine, even though just by implication, I feel like it does spoil like, oh, maybe some characters may have not survived the previous arc, but we will see. Uh, it was very cool to see. I'm glad to, you know, be finally have the ability to keep up with new chapters of Twin Stars as they come out. And I'm very, very curious and excited to see how the new arc is going to play out. Mm, definitely going to be picking this up when the when the backlog's filled. All right, but moving on with uh, some more of our uh, licensing news. Uh, we need to talk about a new manga subscription uh, service here. Uh, apparently from the same company... Uh, that owns uh, Futakia, uh, that being uh, Fantasista, Fantasista Inc. Incorporated. I probably butchered that, but it's fine. Um, so yeah, uh, it looks like this is, I'm assuming this is going to be following the same sort of model as Futakia, where you'll basically pay uh, the, the same price as you would for Futakia, $6.99 per month, and uh, you'll get access to uh, a collection of different manga from uh, a few different publishers, it seems. Um, it looks like some uh, some starting titles uh, from Lead Publishing, as well as uh, San A Corporation in particular, uh, will be Toward the Terra from Keiko Takemiya, uh, Hanagurui from Fumi Shimomura, Guy Rav uh, from uh, Sufo Itahashi, Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Satoshi Ogawa, uh, Inugami Kai from Masaya Hokazono, Hoshi Dematase from uh, Yusu Matsumoto, as well as My Favorite Carrera from Kia Asa- Asamiya. Um, so there you go. If if you happen to be familiar with any of those titles now, you can read those in English. And yeah, it's just it's just nice to see another uh, subscription service. Uh, I'm glad to see more of these popping up and. From from the same company as well. I wonder if maybe that's uh, I wonder if that's something they're gonna look uh, look into. Is just opening up more different like uh, manga subscription services. Because if so, I'm I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely cool, especially to see toward the Terra license rescued since the previous editions from Vertical are out of print. So I know that's one that people have been excited for in particular. And I own the Vertical editions, but I'm also glad to see it be available digitally now too. As part of this service. I feel like I had seen it around before. That 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 explains it. But additionally, there's some cool new things from some of the same people involved. Uh, because the Dojinshi publisher, Erodori Comics, uh, announced that they are announcing a non-erotic manga label called Erodori Aqua. That's going to launch on December 14th. And they've revealed the first four digital titers that they're going to be releasing under this label, which will be two titles from Hiroyuki, the aforementioned author of Otto Girl, and their two doujins that they're going to be uh, released under the Urodori Aqua label are Two Timing Fair and Square and Of Girls, Love and Money. And in addition to that, we have Yoimachi Meme's uh, Renko Kids and Splish. Splash City, and Yuki Sato's love letter for my love then and now. And these are going to be debuting digitally on Amazon Kindle Books on December 14th. 
and they will launch on Comixology in early 2020. And Aqua plans to release at least one new work digitally every week on Amazon. And they plan to release titles by creators including Hiroyuki, Yamato Nadeshko, Yano Toshinori, Yoimachi Meme, and Yuki Sato. So, Two Timing Fair and Square is about a guy who gets confessed to by a girl, but he already has a girlfriend, and his solution is to ask his girlfriend for permission to two-time her, and basically it ends up being an open relationship between these three people. It ends up being actually... Uh, a little bit messy, but ultimately kind of adorable. All Girls Love and Money uh, is actually a Yuri manga. It's about a girl who basically milk tries to milk money out of her girlfriend. And it's a bunch of shenanigans that follow in uh, the aftermath of that. Raincoat Kids is it's basically a coming of age story, a post-apocalyptic water world where the protagonist and their younger sister go to try and find their father and they're joined by a bodyguard who uses an umbrella that he claims is an ultimate weapon. And it's an abstract world illustrated with traditional pen and paper illustrations without the use of needle touch-ups. Wow. It's definitely one of the prettiest and uh, kind of visually stunning manga of the this initial lineup here. And then the final of these is a love letter for my love then and now, which is about a guy who had a crush on, uh, you know, this one girl since elementary school. But every time he tried to give her a love letter to confess his feelings, he ran away in fear. And then several years later, the two end up meeting an alumni homecoming and they think that neither one remembers who they are. So... They try to kind of make the other person remember them. And then over the course of the night, they uh, end up deciding to go on a date. And then it ends up going into a love story from there. So this is actually another cute romance story. And uh, the first chapter of it is actually quite funny. So I actually have uh, gotten access to some early editions of all these titles. And uh, I think we will review them for sure for com in the coming days. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, uh, these are all really interesting titles. So uh, definitely, definitely really cool to see Iridori Comics, you know, reach out and uh, publish these Dojin works that probably wouldn't get licensed and available in English otherwise. Mm-hmm. So really, really cool. Few of these are romance stories and the one this is cool like adventure, but they're all very interesting in different ways. They are for sure. Um Raincoat Kids is probably the one that's gotten my attention the most because I, I just love adventure stories, but uh I can't wait to check out the other titles. Yeah, but speaking of rain, that brings us to a new title from Vertical the veteran witch you manga adaptation by Wataru Kabota, where you, of course, being Makoto Shinkai's new film, The G Kids, is going to be releasing in theaters next month. And basically, yeah, if you don't know the story of Wataru you, it's basically about a guy who runs away from his island home to go to Tokyo, but, you know, he's pretty poor, so he's basically lonely and homeless. But then his life changes when he meets a girl named Hina who possesses a mysterious power. And I won't go more into the premise. You can uh, wait for a future episode or Anime NYC episode where we discuss the movie more in depth. But it's a very interesting movie. And 
the manga adaptation is going to be put out by Vertical next summer, summer 2020. And then we've got a new license from Seven Seas called Peter Grill and the Philosopher's Time by Daisuke Hayama. And that's going to come out next summer, digitally and in print, on June 16th. It's about a guy named Peter Grill who wins a fighting tournament and is crowned the strongest warrior. But as a downside to this, women of all species, from ogres to elves, are scrambling over each other for receipts to ensure they have the strongest babies possible. And poor Peter, he just wants to settle down with his fiance, but he has to outmatch, outwit, and outrun a harem of very determined monster girls to do so. So this is basically Love Rush as a, a fantasy series. If you remember Love Rush, a short-lived Shonen Jump manga from a couple of years ago. So, we're just going to be curious to see how this premise plays out, if it'll lean more into etchiness or lewdness or how the comedy really develops. But it seems like it could be quite funny, and it'll be coming out next summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's about it for um, for all of our licensing news. Uh, one, one last thing before we kind of head into our interview with Stefan um, sort of related, and I, I think we even kind of mentioned this kind of offhand in the interview, but uh, l- literally the day we recorded that interview, it was announced that Jujutsu Kaisen will be getting a TV anime. Yeah, and we talk about it with Stefan during the interview. He shares his thoughts about what would be like his ideal casting, his ideal studio. So definitely look forward to that. Like It was uh, very cool to get his thoughts on that. And I, too, am very much looking forward to the seeing how the Jujutsu Kaisen anime will turn out. If it's, like, really well done, I think we'll definitely see a Demon Slayer-esque explosion of popularity for the series. Because I definitely think it has the potential to be quite big with the right adaptation to highlight its strong points. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, It looks like the, they've already got... Uh, they've already casted, I think, the three main characters as well, and I think they're going to be appearing at a stage event at the, this year's Jump Festa. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe got like an anime trailer from that event, maybe possibly. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. But I think with that, uh, yeah, that's really about it for news. And uh, Lum, I think it's time we talked with uh, Mr. Stefan Koza. Yeah, we're going to set up a domain and entering it. No one can escape now because you're going to be trapped and forced to experience uh, such an incredible quantity of information that you'll be immobilized. You can't process it. That's uh, our domain expansion. And so now you're going to enter it. We're channeling our Jidoku to set up a domain expansion that we're filling with an immeasurable void of never-ending, limitless manga translation information. Because today, we're here to spread some positive juju, because we've got on the translator of Jujutsu Kaisen for Viz Media Weekly Show Jump, Stefan! Stefan, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, the man, that's one hell of a, one hell of an intro. Thank you so much. I'm going to have a hard time topping. <laughs> that <laughs> that's awesome you would not be the first person to say that <laughs> no that's so cool i uh feel like a million bucks right now thank you so much for coming on stefan uh, i'm really excited pleasure's to talk all to mine you. i've been following uh your twitter your youtube channel your podcast uh for a while now and i really love the enthusiasm and the insights you bring uh to studio kaizen and so many other great series 
Oh, no, really. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I uh, I was a little bit jealous of uh, Caleb and uh, Mari Senpai and stuff exam- uh, when uh, when you guys had them on. And I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I, I hope I hope they ask me one day and kind of a. Uh, uh, kind of a notice me senpai kind of a <laughs> deal. So I'm uh, I was I was uh, very happy and uh, truly honored and humbled to uh, be asked. And this is really such a cool experience. Oh, that's awesome! The pleasure is all ours, and we're really excited to learn about your history with manga and anime, and with uh, translating manga, learning Japanese, and of course uh, with many of the series you work on, like Jujutsu. But I guess we should start back at the very beginning. So where did your uh, interest and fandom with manga and anime start? How did you get in to manga and anime? Sure. Um, So uh, I guess the easiest way to start with just my uh, my mother is Japanese and my father is American. So I I grew up in a bilingual household and um, anime and manga we're really just kind of a part of life in our household and kind of being from a Japanese background. Um, you know, I've lived all over, but uh, I was always lucky enough to have that access in my house. Uh, my uh, my family that lived in Japan would send us like videotapes and um, manga and, you know, video games as far as uh, Japanese is concerned. So I always had the access to it and uh, manga and anime, I grew up with it so i think for our my experience with it was very matter of fact it was just kind of part of my life um and yeah so as far as that experience it's a little bit different maybe than uh uh your average anime or manga fan who kind of you know met it in their formative years or something like that for me it was one of my earliest memories that's really awesome and what were some of like the earliest series you were getting into as a kid Sure, yeah, yeah. Um I uh watched a lot of uh Crayon Shinchan, for example. Uh yeah. <laughs> which which I uh I recently discovered the English dub of Crayon Shinchan and <laughs> it, <laughs> I tell you, I, I didn't think the series could get any better. Um but I I I I love I I thought I was watching like a fan made thing or something at first because <laughs> yeah. of the complete one eighty turn that they take with it, but I absolutely love it. So yeah, Crayon uh, Shinchan, Doraemon. I'm a huge fan of uh, Ghibli movies, Studio Ghibli movies. You know, Totoro, um, Sento Chihiro, or like uh, Naoshika, and all those are one of some of my favorites. Um, and uh, I know Lam, you're a big fan of. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely grew up uh, watching that and kind of playing the video games as well. But as far as uh, Shonen Jump is concerned, um, Dragon Ball, my, my older brother, you know, was uh, a big fan of Dragon Ball as well. Um, Captain Tsubasa. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I did pick up uh, Naruto as well. Um, but yeah, those were kind of some of my er- earliest series, I would say. That's Ooh, awesome. Wow. That's a great selection of classics right there. And yeah, that Shin-chan dub, uh, it's very popular over in India as well, like the oh. regular Shin-chan. So I remember when I was over there once, I was showing a friend of mine who lives in India, like the English dub of Shin-chan. They were also kind of <laughs> taken aback and blown away by, oh my God, <laughs> they really raunched this up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. 
It's uh, but it it just seems to fit so well. Oh yeah, I really do enjoy that a whole lot. Yeah, and you spoke that you were from a bilingual background, so I was wondering, where did you learn Japanese from a very young age too, from your parents? Yeah, um, so a lot of kind of people in my background, there there's kind of a variety, you know, those who are, you know, have a Japanese parent but don't really necessarily learn the language growing up, or they do learn both languages growing up, or only Japanese, for example, if they live in Japan. Um, but I was very fortunate um, to learn from my parents and kind of, you know, my interactions with my my mother's side of the family. My father speaks the language as well. Um, but um, just kind of visiting Japan during the summers every year. I grew up uh, going to Japan every year during the summers. And just watching a boatload of Japanese TV, like I said, mentioned before, um, my mother's sister, my aunt, uh, sent us a lot of Japanese uh, VHSs. If I don't know if the kids these days know what a VHS is, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, not just anime though. I watched a lot of Japanese like variety shows and comedy shows, so. I learned a lot of my Japanese from just kind of my love of it. A lot of, uh, I think, um, people in my situation who grew up in multinationality households don't necessarily learn both cultures, but I, I kind of identified with both. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really just fun learning more about the language. That's awesome. And did you have to... Uh, deep dive into the language more later on in life or did you kind of get a full grasp of the Japanese language just being immersed in it as a kid from interacting with your family and you know your experiences uh, living in Japan yeah no I mean um, I, I would say m most of my Japanese is really kind of learning from a non-classroom setting but at the same time, I definitely did take Japanese classes in high school or uh, university, for example, or I spent a year abroad uh, in my junior year of college uh, in Tokyo. So I learned a lot of Japanese while I was there as well. But I would say the way that I learned Japanese is very different maybe from uh, your typical uh, Japanese fan or something like that. Um, so... Any any time I'm kind of asked about like Japanese grammar points and things like that, I I always have a, a tough time explaining that kind of stuff because I just didn't learn Japanese that way. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective to come from, and I bet it really like helps, you know, about having uh, you know been immersed in the language for a long time and uh, having many experiences. You know, being in Japan, you know, you're able to pick up on certain phrases or cultural things uh, while translating that other people who haven't been uh, immersed as long might not pick up on it as uh, immediately. Right, right, exactly. No, I think uh, I was just really fortunate to uh, to be in that situation. And um, looking back on it now, yeah, I'm definitely able to do what I do now because of those experiences. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned before that uh, we had Caleb Cook on the show earlier this year, and you and Caleb are good friends, and uh, you were both, uh, you know, living in Japan together at the same time. I was just kind of wondering, like, you know, uh, when did you guys meet? Like, how did you become friends? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, um, Caleb Senpai is... Uh... <laughs> 
is a very good friend of mine. Like you said, we met in Japan on the JET program. Um, I know when you guys had him on, he mentioned uh, about us being on the JET program together. And yep, we were really just kind of lucky enough to be placed in the same city. I was there first. And then this guy from uh, from New York came along and I was like, oh, man, I, I want, you know, it's it's because we always get the uh you know a little update beforehand saying like oh there's this guy his name is caleb cook he's coming from new york he's gonna be coming to our town and this and that and i was you know always kind of oh i wonder what kind of guy he's like or <laughs> um but i think uh we were really lucky uh we kind of got to talking and i was i i actually didn't grow up with one piece but when i was in japan just kind of the exposure to it got me really curious and um I, I'm, I'm sure it was just everywhere yeah oh it's 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 incredible uh that that's kind of what i mean as well when i say that anime and manga is just kind of a part of life and just very matter of fact in japan yeah. um it's just it's 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 not something that has some sort of stigmatism or anything uh attached to it um, which I think I was very fortunate enough. Um, you know, you hear a lot about people and their struggles with being an anime fan or kind of being ostracized or not feeling confident about sharing their love for it. I think um, now it's maybe not as bad. Um, in fact, if anything, it's almost kind of like, oh, it's, that's kind of cool if you like anime or something like that. Um, but yeah, as far as with Caleb, uh, we really bonded over One Piece so he he was a big fan of the series. Um, I, I know his first foray into manga was One Piece, so he kind of taught me a lot of the things, and we really gelled over that. Wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. And you two continue to be friends, you know, and now both of you are working on big series for Shonen Jump, yeah. which is really yeah. awesome. No, I mean, it's it's we really kind of have to... Uh, pinch ourselves sometimes you know because i remember before i got into manga translations and stuff uh you know he had already been in it for a little bit and, and uh he had mentioned how he got this series called uh boku no hero academia and we we're like oh i wonder what this thing is about i wonder if it's going to be any good and of, <laughs> of course we all we all know it for the phenomenon that it is now um, but we, we both kind of had an inkling. I remember when he first showed me it and I, I've been it from day one as well. And we were like, man, this could be big, man, if handled correctly, it just kind of has all those right elements and especially for a worldwide audience. Um, so obviously the My Hero Academia became as popular as it did. And then when I got my gig with Jujutsu Kaisen, um, and then, uh, Recently, well, I don't know, recently, maybe about half a year ago, uh, Horiko Sensei and Akutami Sensei actually did a little collab in their uh, respective volumes where they they drew a piece of art for each other's series. So Akutami Sensei drew uh, a My Hero Academia piece while Horiko Sensei uh, drew a uh, Jujutsu Kaisen piece. So if you haven't seen those, yeah, look it up. It's 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 really cool. And we're just like, wow. How how crazy is it that these two series happened to apparently the the mangaka really seemed to have a rapport with each other, so it's just so funny that the translators as well have a rapport as well. That's awesome. Both That's pretty the cool. The artists yeah. and the yeah. translators both have like a great friendly relationship. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just it's one of those weird things, but uh, it's it's such a cool experience. 
Mm-hmm. And just like MHA, I think Jujutsu Kaisen is uh, a series that has a lot of potential and is also going to kind of blow up in the same way. But on the subject of manga translation, I guess we should bring ourselves to the question of, like, where did you get your start in manga translation? And, like, what's for some of your earliest experiences? I mean, I guess even taking it all the way back to when you were a kid, would you say, like, you know, I, I you were probably reading a lot of manga in Japanese. Was that kind of laying the grand, groundwork for kind of, like, uh, translating things in your head? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, as far as translating manga, that's a very recent development. Um, I didn't have any experience translating manga before I was with Viz. Um, that being said, I definitely grew up doing a lot of impromptu translating, I guess. Um, you know, translating for my family or f- friends, for example. Like, I had a lot of Japanese friends growing up, uh, you know, in middle school or high school. And I would do a lot of translating for them. So for me, my translation really started out, I would say I'm more of a interpreter than a actual like written translator. So as far as that medium is concerned, it hasn't been until very recently. And um, with for Viz, um, you know, kind of I, I was lucky enough to know Caleb and I was able to I was kind of able to approach Viz as far as maybe getting a job with them. So, uh, and obviously, you know, Caleb was nice enough to kind of put in a good word for me. And, um, at that kind of my, you know, so I, I did a, I did a test and all that. They didn't just, they don't just give the job willy nilly. Um, but I did a little, a little kind of test run. And then my first actual piece of uh, translation was, uh, this little one shot by, um, Naoshikomi, who is the, uh, mangaka for uh nisekoi yes nisekoi thank you yeah it slipped my mind real quick there um for nisekoi exactly and then uh so they did a little one shot called uh ino genten about yeah, a year yeah. ago which yeah oh yeah so yeah you know about it it's kind of like the the esports one yeah yeah we talked about that on the show uh once before nice yeah what, what did you guys think about that one yeah i enjoyed it i thought it had a potential to expand into a longer series i thought so did I. Yeah, I think um I mean it's 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 certainly no coincidence that they put a series out about esports. Oh yeah. At the time where esports really started become becoming a lot more mainstream. I mean, we see it on ESPN and stuff now and they have these, you know, in Korea for example, they've been doing StarCraft events for such a long time and you know, the players are treated like rock stars over there, but it was still very a uh, niche market over here, but now it's just you just see it, like I say, on ESPN and stuff. And I was, as an esports fan myself, I was kind of hoping that maybe Ino Genten, if not the series itself, but that it would start to kind of give light to that a little bit more and maybe introduce a series about esports into uh, Shonen Jump. But I think we're, yeah, alas, I, I don't know if we're going to get that right now. But I think mm. we will see it one day. Like esports, yeah, sure. it does draw big crowds and there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. And yeah, you're like not just on ESPN, but even on uh, you know Disney XD, like they have like three hour long blocks of just showing tournaments. So it's like, you know, it's something like a lot of people really love, and uh, I think that it's I think we'll see a successful manga about it one day for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if I don't know if it's 
too late or whatnot for E no Genten to maybe get a series in particular. But I mean I'm I'm sure at some point somebody will be like, I want to do an esports manga. Like I'm <laughs> Yeah. I'm I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure. And I mean, I know there's gonna be a lot of overlap in terms of the fandom as well. Um, not to say that anyone that reads manga likes esports or vice versa, but I'm sure that there is a lot of overlap, um, kind of the video game culture with um, anime and manga culture, you know, a lot of the fandom seems to overlap. So I think it is inevitable for sure. Mm, look, I mean, I don't I don't I don't typically like play a lot of video games, but like I would still I would still read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, even so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, Ino Genten was kind of my first foray and uh, they seemed to like what they saw. So I was uh, able to get a really incredible opportunity with um, that time I was reincarnated as uh, Yamcha. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. We, yeah. we yeah. also covered that on the show during a bonus pod oh, we've done. Oh, and yeah, we awesome, really love that. Awesome. And we really love the the touch of how the dialogue was matching up with the original Viz translation, too. I thought that was a really cool touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's um, as far as that book is concerned, they kind of gave me like a little uh, spreadsheet of different terminology and stuff that they'd like to for them to use. And it was kind of a interesting experience because I grew up watching and reading Dragon Ball in Japanese and kind of like imagining these characters speaking in English was, it was such a weird experience, but it was so cool. And they really did a great job. Yeah. So I, I obviously you have no idea about like a, a lot of uh, like how different some of the terminology is like between all of its different incarnations and whatnot. <laughs> Right, right, exactly, exactly. So for me, something like I, the the spirit bomb, I guess. Um, like I grew up knowing it as Genki Dama. Yeah. Um, or like Piccolo and his Makanko Sapo, the kind of I, I I'm not too sure what you, what it's called in English. Special actually. beam cannon. There you go. That, that's awesome. <laughs> or I, like you, you you didn't grow up with the with the Kienzan as the uh, destructo disc. Oh man. <laughs> no, I did not, but I might have to use that from now on. <laughs> destructo disc, the destructo disc that never destroys anything. <laughs> hey, can you give, give us some credit? It destroys a couple of couple of rocks, couple of mountains. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. It's it's uh there's all these little uh kind of memes and stuff about uh destructo disc and how it has the potential to be one of the strongest moves, but it always seems to, like you say, find a mountain or something instead. Yeah, it, it can't actually hit because then the fight would be over and we can't right, have exactly. win a fight. No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, that would be too convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, Yamcha was such a cool experience and they really did a great job. Uh, Dragon Arrow Lee did a great job uh, kind of really knowing the fans and really doing something that was very you know, a mix of fan service, but kind of something really interesting as well. And kind of the twists and turns was something that I actually just really enjoyed as a fan. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. But then um, I kind of got my um, start into the jump starts when jump starts was still a thing. And uh, like uh, Momiji no Kisetsu was uh, kind of like a shogi one, the 
which between you you guys and me uh I, i'm not <laughs> my the shogi i i i wonder why they keep on going with that but i i know it's part of it is uh to kind of try to recapture that uh the the go yeah, Hikaru uh, no go, yeah. Yeah, Hikaru, Hikaru no go kind of uh, sensation. But I, I don't know. I mean, if they handle it correctly, um, I don't know necessarily with Shogi, but maybe something else. Uh, yes, yeah, stuff like Shogi and Go, I've never really had like a lot of huge interest in. Though though I, I, I hear good things about Hikaru no Go, which I... I actually haven't read that series yet. Really? So like that, I think this yeah. is the first time I've learned you've never read a car and I go. No, well, yeah, yeah, something. I've never, I've, yep, never read it. I learned something yeah. new. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's on my list. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I'm not um like an expert on the series or anything, but from uh from what I do know, they handled it in a way where the main character he uh he kind of learns it along with the reader, and I think that's why they did a really good job as far as um. As opposed to something like Momiji, where it's already characters that are well established in Shogi, and it almost demands that the reader knows Shogi before they even get into the series, which I think was kind of a flaw. But alas, I I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, kind kind of the same. It's it's probably the same issue with like uh, double Taisei at the moment as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You really need to teach readers like how to play these games because if they if you don't know you're not gonna be able to follow along and i think that's a big issue with stuff like momiji no kisetsu and devil ties is that they don't really teach you how to play shogi they kind of assume you can recognize what's going on right i i wonder if part of that is just is also because like it's the these kinds of series are predominantly for a more japanese audience and i wonder if maybe they maybe no, for, they, right. they just assume that if Japanese people are reading this series, they already know how to play Shogi, maybe? Right. I mean, it's it's you always have to kind of keep that in mind that the priority for Shonen Jump, not just Shonen Jump, for but for manga in general, it's always for a Japanese audience. I mean, the vast majority of them. Uh, so when it does come to something a little bit more niche, like these kind of Shogi manga, um, that being said, though, I mean, being part Japanese... I've had, you know, been around, you know, a lot of friends that are Japanese and things like that. And I think it's quite a quite an ask to assume that a large part of the Japanese population knows how to play games like Go or Shogi. You know, I mean, and growing up now, I mean, like I know I, I grew up kind of knowing the basics of like checkers or chess or something. But as far as Shogi is concerned or chess is concerned, like now, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of kids these days who know how to play chess or checkers or something like that. No, yeah, I and see and see that's that's I'm I'm in that same category of like if I don't know if someone like if Marvel or DC did for some reason did a comic about checkers or chess. Um, do do not assume I know that game just because I'm an American or something like that. Right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely, exactly. So I think if we're talking about a series that does incorporate some sort of tabletop game or something, I think they'd be a lot more better off introducing something new like they did with um like Yu-Gi-Oh or something for example mm-hmm. you know where yeah. it's like hey this is this new thing and of course the merchandising and stuff too um i mean just sounds like such a good opportunity you know so i think um if they are going to introduce something a series along those that that kind of genre they do well to kind of introduce something new come out with a new game and sell the product and uh kind of have the reader learn the game 
along with the series. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they haven't tried to find another manga to recapture the six of Yu-Gi-Oh with a new game. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh, of course, remains strong to this day, but it is interesting. I don't think that there have been many attempts in Jump of a new manga coming out that's centered around a completely original game that they're trying to get off the ground. Right, exactly. But I mean, it also helps that Kazuki Takahashi was already a basically a huge gaming nerd. Like, <laughs> like yeah, he, yeah. he he had a he obviously had a lot of different interests, which I think is part of the is a big reason for me anyway why Yu Gi Oh is such an interesting manga. You definitely need someone who is knowledgeable of how games work to come up with a game like Yu-Gi-Oh! And even with Yu-Gi-Oh! there is a ton of holes in how the manga presents the card game in terms of like how the, the actual rules work. And so then Konami had to come along to tweak things for the actual card game you can play in real life. But yeah, it, yeah. it really takes just someone to come up with an idea and then a good groundwork and then it can be built from there. Right, no, absolutely. I liked seeing that in Yu-Gi-Oh, though. Just, like, the, those are some of my favorite parts of the series. They're just Kazuki Takahashi fumbling through uh, how <laughs> dual monsters are supposed to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and figuring out stuff as he goes along. Exactly. And sometimes it can work uh, to the advantage in the sense of kind of exploiting loopholes and things like that. And uh, kind of creating new rules and kind of twists and turns in the series as actual plot devices as well. Yeah, but I mean, Takahashi Sensei, uh, that's a perfect segue because I was able to, I was actually fortunate enough to uh, work on their little, sh uh, work on his short series, uh, the comic. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I I was extremely lucky. And um, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I'm not a Yu-Gi-Oh! expert or a Takahashi Sensei expert or anything, but um, obviously I know how popular the series is and how people, how excited people were that Takai Sensei was trying something new, um, especially as far as actually creating the medium itself. Apparently, he did it all on iPad and all digitally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I could, I which could see Which was that. something new. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, kind of translating the series, um, you can kind of definitely see the evidence for that, but someone of Takai Sensei's um, stature doing something which is kind of mystery-based um, was very very cool but um also lends itself to a lot of takai sense's uh strengths as far as kind of creating that suspense or kind of twists and turns and i think the comic was such a cool little project a little i think i'm pretty sure it was seven seven chapters or maybe a little bit more actually um but yeah it was it was such a cool experience doing that and i think it's something that shonen jump could actually really use right now um i actually uh Funnily enough, in a recent weekly Shonen Jump uh, podcast, uh, they reached out on Twitter for questions, and uh, I had actually written a question on there, and I don't think they realized uh, it was actually from me, <laughs> um, but but I was listening to it, wondering if they were going to pick up the question, and sure enough, they did, and I asked them, uh, what type of genre do you think weekly Shonen Jump could really use in their lineup right now? And the reason I asked that was because of my experience with comic um that i think weekly shonen jump could really use kind of a kind of like a just a straight mystery mm -hmm. kind of like detective mystery kind of style series right now yeah um you have you have kind of dramatic and kind of thriller series like uh 
kind of like Dr. Stone or Promised Neverland, but just something really classically mystery, I think would be really cool. Um, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear kind of what your take guys, uh, where your guys' take on that as far as what Weekly Shonen Jump. I don't mean to spur a question on you all of a sudden, but <laughs> I'd be curious uh, what, what you guys think. Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree. I Like, I would love to see... I would love to see like a really good mystery manga, a la maybe not completely the same thing, but like some something in the vein of like Detective Conan or something. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Detective Conan or like Death Note, uh, Death Note for example. Yeah, I, I guess I guess in terms of a mystery, I guess Death Note's probably the closest thing to that. That and like yeah, um, I, I don't know if you ever read the series, but uh. Uh, Majin Tante Nogami Nero, I guess, was also the yeah. other closest thing to that kind of thing. It's a uh, oh no, I haven't. It's a uh, it's the uh, I, I think it was the first series by uh, Yusei Matsui, the guy who did Assassination Classroom. Oh no way! Oh okay, yeah. No, I'll have to check that out then. It's not. I don't think it's in. Obviously, it's not in English, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, no, yeah, I remember reading that and thinking, like, yeah, this is really cool. Though I think Matsui it's, uh, himself has admitted that, like, you know, he's not super good at writing mysteries. So it was more. So he he really more so relied on like his really somewhat at, at times uh, grotesque uh, artistry and imagery, which I think was a big strength of that series. But. Uh, but yeah, no, I like. I think they even make a joke about that in Assassination Classroom, where it's like, oh, you know, Shonen Sunday has Detective Conan, and it's like, what does Jump have? Oh, we have. Oh, n- really? N- Nero. No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, like, uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting how like, you know, again, Shonen Sunday has something like Conan, which is one of its biggest series, but like Shonen Jump has never really had like a really really popular mystery series before. Yeah, yeah, no, and I I think they could really do with it. Yeah. I would love to see something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, mystery would definitely be great. And I guess just exploring different types of concepts. I mean, I really love Act Age, which is kind of more of a grounded drama about the world of acting. And similarly, I would prefer, I think I would like a more grounded drama type manga in Jump. That kind of would interest me. Like, uh, we have several romantic comedies, but kind of a more serious romantic drama. Uh, I think would be very interesting and different to in like Jump's lineup. Uh, that isn't really comedy focused. That's like really like focused on uh, relationships and then you know uh, complications in relationships. You see, see, you, you you say that Lum, but now I'm just thinking, what if they had something like uh, Dear Sachan in uh, in Weekly Shut and Jump? Well, something a little less uh, sexually charged or built yeah. around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> NTR or whatever. Right. No, and I I know um no, and I totally hear I totally hear you guys um and I I think um when it comes to Shonen Jump it is in the end I mean it is Shonen Jump, right? So there's always this kind of constraints as far as their themes and stuff that maybe they and genres they can explore, but I mean in the times that we live in, like you mentioned, Octage, for example, or um, Promised Neverland, or kind of like Doctor Stone and stuff, they they really have kind of expanded their repertoire. Uh, so things like a really serious drama or like a mystery or something is certainly not out of the the realm of possibility. Yeah, I think Jump has been very playful with uh, the premises of its manga, and I think that 
you can't boil down a lot of uh, new j- jump series to just one type of genre because they're mixing and matching and really creating unique uh, situations and premises for themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, and I, <laughs> it's too bad that the timing um, with uh, the jump starts because I had also had the complete pleasure of translating a little series called um, Renaissance David. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and Davide-kun was such a, it was such a, it was so from left, well, I don't know if from left field is the right word, but yeah, it kind of was. And But f- I'm a big fan of those kind of really, like, dumb humor, <laughs> like slapstick, like you guys say, um, and like something like, uh, for example, uh, Sakamoto desu ga. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if yeah. you guys are familiar. Yeah, so like, and it's it's a type of humor which I'm always curious because growing up with Japanese and kind of around the culture, it's a complete strike for me in terms of like right down the middle strike. Um, it, it totally hits me in you know in the right place, but I'd be curious for Western audiences whether stuff like that really just goes right over their head. Um, as far as like Davide Kun or um. Sakamoto Desuga, or just kind of some of these other real Japanese humor. Or maybe even something like Gintama. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But Gintama seems to be extremely popular in Western audiences as well. I'm not too sure as compared to Jap- Japanese, though. I, um, I was going to say, G- Gintama has its fan base over here, uh, for sure. Mm. Um, but I would I, I would say it's nowhere near as big as something like even One Piece, I think. Right, 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 right. But I mean, it's it's huge in Japan. From oh, for sure, what I yeah. understand. Yeah, no, and that definitely probably is accredited to a lot of the humor and just how it just doesn't resonate maybe with non-Japanese. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that the thing about Gintama too is that it also has a lot of like, uh, it it also helps that the character writing is very very good in that like you know it also has a lot of action elements sometimes as well too. So right, right. Yeah, comedy is definitely one of the hardest things to translate. And I think it takes someone really skilled to kind of get across the same ideas in a way that would make sense for a different audience. Uh, divorced from the, you know, trying to recapture the same uh, in meaning and intent, but change it for the different cultural context in a way that new readers can understand. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because when it comes to comedy, comedy is oftentimes very based on the country's culture, right? So you'll have American comedy being very different from Japanese comedy being different from maybe comedy in Latin America or, Mm -hmm. you know, certain parts of Europe and stuff. Like, Like when I think of British humor, it's very kind of that dry, just witty humor. But then, like in Japan, there is a lot of kind of slapstick comedy and stuff. And America obviously has kind of its situational comedies um, and like stand-up comedy and things like that. Um, so when it comes to comedy, it's it's very difficult to translate depending on what kind of comedy it is. When you have something like rom-com, for example, it's not too bad. But when you have series, like, I, I never read it, but apparently uh, they did a series called, uh, like, Lycopene or, like, Tomato yeah, Lycopene yeah, or something yeah. like Lycopene, the Tomatoy Poodle. There, there you go. Yeah, which, from what I understand, was heavily, heavily reliant on its puns. Oh, yeah. It was making a lot of uh, jokes about Japanese politics, yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. There you go. So, I mean, that's the double whammy right there. Like, you know, you can't you can't expect 
a for that to be translated as is and a lot of the kind of the political satire and stuff i'm sure went over the heads of a lot of readers mm-hmm. yeah yeah that must have been a nightmare to translate i i don't know who it was but big respect to them for attempting that even caleb for example he says uh with his experiences with uh smash he uh with my hero academia smash he says that it's been some of the most trying experiences because <laughs> of a lot of <laughs> he says it's fun obviously and uh my hero academia is always fun like vigilantes and stuff too it's very good with its comedy but he says with smash it's a lot of it is very kind of like pun based or culture based which gets very difficult to translate oh yeah well i guess that kind of leads us into our next question which is like, what are some of the challenges you find generally when translating Japanese to English? And you mentioned earlier that you considered yourself more of an interpreter before you really got into translating. So I'm also wondering what are the differences you find, uh, the different challenges you find between interpreting Japanese and uh, translating Japanese? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, as far as Jutsu is concerned, I've been pretty lucky, actually. There's definitely some things aspects about the series that are very difficult but kind of well i guess maybe besides judith kaisen it's 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 been quite a interesting experience um as you say being more of an interpreter um there are elements i mean it it definitely does flow very well into manga translating as well but um i would say more for me it's the logistics kind of the the technical like trying to fit uh certain content into a speech bubble for example um japanese is very the way that the language is structured a lot of it i forget caleb had some sort of great terminology for it but it was kind of the fact that japanese leaves a lot for the listener or the reader to assume and kind of pick up on cues depending on the speech whereas english is a lot more explanatory so when you try to translate certain japanese into english like and we're not e- I'm not even talking about like cultural difference stuff. I'm talking about like actual speech patterns. Sometimes if you were to translate it as is into English, you're not going to even have enough room in a speech bubble. Right. Um so kind of learning that process and because you know when I translate it as an interpreter as the name suggests, it has to be very true to the subject matter. You know, it's not the the interpreter's job is not to kind of have creative liberty over what's being spoken. It's to convey that message as is oftentimes to whomever's it's being translated to. But whereas manga is concerned, I would say a lot more of it is to kind of get the message across without being too literal. So that's definitely kind of one of the challenges that I found and for me in my head i'm able to process as okay in japanese it means this but in english it really means this um and being able to actually kind of get over that fear of not translating it literally and being like yeah you know what stuff on just go for it you know and just kind of have that little bit of a creative liberty and you know say this is what it actually means and kind of have that creative liberty is definitely but with jutsu kaisen uh i would say as far as kind of the subject matter, it's not too bad. Um, you know, kind of the setting, kind of the high school setting is something that we, we've seen time and time again in Shonen Jump and offers itself to a lot of 
terminology that's very familiar and kind of cultural references that's very familiar for the audience. That being said, Judith Geisen, where I oftentimes find a little bit of difficulty, is the very uh, like esoteric terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very very cool. Um, don't get me wrong. Like a lot a lot of the the terminology in Japanese just seems to have like kind of a, almost a poetic nature to it. So we kind of made the decision along the way. And I know a lot of the readers of Jujutsu Kaisen are kind of thrown off by the fact that we had originally had a lot of the Japanese terminology along with the English terminology. But uh, the decision was made along the way to just go strictly English, um, which you'll see in volume one. And I think it was definitely the right move, though, not only just logistically with getting all that text on. It's a little bit much when you have both the Japanese and the English, but we were kind of testing the waters. But kind of translating a lot some of those terms like a lot of the move terms into english is always a little bit of a challenge but it's it's from what i understand very reminiscent of like hunter hunter and stuff like they have a lot of kind of very esoteric terminology which was from what i understand difficult to translate yeah i mean jujutsu kaisen really does remind me of hunter hunter in terms of having all these uh unique powers and terms that are brought up and people need to keep in mind in order to strategize during the fights. And I think that's a huge point of appeal for Jujutsu Kaisen is like the, the power system it has. But it's really cool to hear about the, how, like your philosophy behind uh, tr- translating the terminology. Cause I definitely noticed uh, like with a term like Jibyoku, uh, that is used interchangeably with like cursed energy as well. So uh, I was definitely like thinking about that. I was uh, rereading the series a little bit, like, when like uh, a Japanese term was used and when like the English translation was used. Right, right. So yeah, so we definitely did start out by using certain words in Japanese and certain words in English, but then it became very confusing, obviously. So the decision to just say, hey, we're going with English. And there are certain things that maybe we might use the Japanese, but that's for different reasons. But like like you mentioned, Juryoku is cursed energy. And the... the the thing with Jujutsu Kaisen is that a lot of the terminologies do start out with Ju. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you have Juryoku, Jujutsu, Ju this, you know, Jutsu Shiki, which is curse technique. And all of it is based on that kind, not all of them actually, but most of them are actually based on Ju is the uh, phonetic reading for uh, curse, Noroi in Japanese. So, that's why a lot of the words tend to have this. Jew, and then it became very kind of confusing, especially for maybe for a Japanese audience, it's not bad. Um, but for an English speaking audience, like, wait, I thought Judyoku was curse energy. What is Jutsushiki? Is that also yeah, curse? So, yeah, yeah so it, it was definitely a good decision to make along the way to just say we're going with English, it's a lot more easier to understand. And with a series like Jutsu Kaisen, surely they'll be introducing more terminology as well. So you never know. There might be even more Jews, which is scary to think about. But <laughs> <laughs> It's a little sad to lose the teaming of uh, all these different terms of getting with Jew. But at the same time, as a, from, as a reader, like when the Simulpub was starting up and I uh, was going through it, you know, it was confusing me, like what some terms meant uh, as I was reading. So, like, having the terms in English kind of makes the intent uh, and meaning a little more uh, readily uh, clear and easy to distinguish. Absolutely. Because um, 
And, you know, there are obviously a lot of series that use the Japanese terminology, which are so iconic, like um, like Bleach, for example, with Bankai. You know, um, it's so it's such an iconic term, and anyone who knows anime knows what Bankai is. Um, and we were thinking, you know, because Jujutsu Kaisen does have similarities kind of and inspirations as Akutami Sensei has actually expressed uh, from Bleach. So we're like, well, is this something that we should explore as well? Um, so like domain expansion, for example, was, you know, we were playing with the idea of just going with the Japanese of Ryoiki Tenkai, which, you know, it's, it's, yeah, which we were like, ah, oh, that might actually work. But since we have to kind of keep that consistency and just keep everything English. Yeah. But Jujutsu Kaisen is, it's, it's a blast to translate. And I think, um, I'm very lucky, uh, I'll have chapters sometimes being a battle based manga where there's just uh where where nobody's talking <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly where i'm just like oh man this is this is awesome <laughs> you know we just kind of flip through the pages it's like yeah you know, yeah but then you have something like uh, i know you guys alluded to it earlier with uh with a uh, hunter hunter for example where it's just blocks of text and like just because it's a battle manga doesn't necessarily mean that they don't talk, you know. It's like oh, yeah, yeah. Th- th- yeah. Then suddenly you're translating a novel, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. It's like I thought this was a manga. Like, what am I doing, spending twenty minutes on a single page? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of strategizing during fights too, which is really interesting, but also probably a a, big, a challenge to translate at times. But on the subject, you know, you're one of the biggest advocates of Jujutsu Kaisen and have done a lot to spread the word about the series. And I was just wondering, you know, what about the series has really captured your imagination? And what do you feel makes it really stand out in the Shonen Jump lineup? Sure, yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to put a finger on exactly, I would say. Um, you know, as with any series that's popular, uh, you know, some series will just have like a certain trope or kind of a gimmick um, or a plot device or something that will just work very, very well and almost defines the series. Like, let's say uh, Death Note, for example, the this idea of this notebook, you know, just completely structures the series and the, the plot devices or like Spy Family, for example, recently, um, this little girl that has, you know, telepathic powers, that's the plot device. Um, but for Jujutsu Kaisen, it doesn't really have that, I would say, this kind of like gimmick. That being said... Um, I think we have to start with the fact that Jujutsu Kaisen is a very classic jump title. You know, it it definitely deviates a lot, but at the core, um, it is definitely a a jump title. And it's funny because Akutami Sensei had actually referred to this, saying that um, kind of their first forays into jump, they were met with a lot of kind of criticism saying, well, it's very fun. It's very interesting, but it's not a jump manga. Um, they actually, you know, they mentioned that in a recent volume. So Akutami Sensei had kind of said, okay, well, what makes a jump manga? So we can definitely see that with kind of obviously with battle manga, you always have to have really, you know, fantastic powers and stuff, right? And then the fact that it's kind of set at a high school also kind of lends itself to the jump kind of DNA, eccentric characters. So those are the kind of things that define it as a jump series. But I think as far as your question is concerned with what really separates it, 
I would say from a design standpoint, the art style. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know you guys uh, referred to that earlier a little bit, but and it's incredible if you actually read some of the earlier chapters, like Volume One, for example, compared to the recent chapters. Akutami Sensei, I think, was really holding back in the earlier chapters to kind of reach more of that mainstream audience because it's a lot more kind of clean lines and the characters almost look different even. Whereas now it's a lot more um, dynamic with the the lines. Um, it almost has this kind of like calligraphy element to it. Oh, yeah. Especially with the thick, inky lines. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, Akutami Sensei likes to use a lot of these kind of like hash marks um, to kind of represent um, like creases in clothing and things like that. So, you know, and it's so funny because when it comes to the age that we are in right now, as far as manga is concerned, it's it's so difficult to come up with something new because everyone has done a version of it before. So whether it comes to actual like genre or the genre itself is not particularly like it doesn't really stand out, right? Um, but the art style definitely does. Um, so it has that element some, similar to kind of like Gotoge Sensei with uh, Demon Slayer. You can tell that it's Gotoge Sensei, right? Or Horikoshi Sensei, you can tell that it's Horikoshi Sensei. Or Boichi has a certain art style and stuff as well for uh, Dr. Stone. So I would say the art style definitely is one thing that uh, separates it. Um, the setting... The fact that it's actually like in present day Japan is something that I actually, as far as like battle manga concerned, it actually doesn't happen too often. You know, you have your Grand Blues of One Piece or Konoha of Naruto or kind of feudal Japan of Demon Slayer and stuff. But Jujutsu Kaisen is in present day Japan. And um, even in like recent chapters, they're in Shibuya, for example. And a lot of the background work is of actual places. And I've actually touched on that a little bit in my Twitter and stuff. And it's incredible. So as a Japanese fan, but, you know, for American fans as well, or Western fans, it's cool to kind of see that. So that kind of definitely separates it as well. The battle system, I would say you guys talked about it a little bit with uh, how it's comparable to Hunter Hunter in that way. It's a lot more strategic. Um, it's not just... And I hate I kind of hate to use this as far as Shonen Jump is concerned, but it oftentimes is the case of who's got the bigger gun kind of <laughs> situation. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, because uh, like when two characters are fighting with different domains, like the stronger domain is going to win out. Right. So as far as like the domain expansion is concerned, it very much uh, does have that trope um, kind of the oh, you're Super Saiyan 1, I'm going to go Super Saiyan 2. Oh, you're going to go 2, I'm going to go 3, right? <laughs> like, it's it's that kind of deal. But as far as kind of the basic combat, from what I understand, it's similar to Hunter x Hunter, and it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have uh, this uh, idea of, like, the Nen, and actually using a Nen and applying the Nen or something. Yeah, yeah so... Like, everyone has, like, a same kind of energy source, but they channel it in specialized ways. And Jujutsu Kaisen definitely does the same thing with uh, the Cursed Energy character's wheel and how they use it in uh, unique ways and have their unique powers. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, I know one of the uh, 
chapters that was filled recently, if I'm not mistaken, with chapter 12 or 13, they actually do touch on that. Um, Gojo Sensei explains it saying how cursed energy is like electricity, but you can't just use electricity as it is, right? So you have to apply it into electronics, as in cursed energy into cursed techniques. So it's. I thought that was a really easy way to understand it, but that's definitely a idea which defines Jujutsu Kaisen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to kind of explain it too, and it's a. It's like it is really interesting, just like how again electricity powers so many different appliances. You can use the same energy source to uh, fuel really different techniques, whether it be like Inamaki's like cursed voice, or like uh, the Black Flash. Or uh, all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, like uh, Kugisaki, for example, Nobara, which uh, I know as a, you guys are a fan of uh, Lama uh, one half, uh, but Kugisaki immediately reminded me of uh, Gosun Kugi, the uh, guy who uses uh, right the nails and <laughs> right, the cursing. Right, yeah, the it's it, dolls, yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's the exact same idea, right? So, um. That sounds actually like a good idea for a meme. I might have to uh, <laughs> put that one together. Um, <laughs> but no um, versus Kugisaki, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, battle of voodoo dolls. Anime battle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Gosun Kugi is uh, pretty uh, pretty sneaky. He might have the edge, but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I, I could go on and on um, with Jujutsu Kaisen, but I I think just a couple more things. Uh, I, I think just it's genuinely hilarious as well. I mean, it's obviously defined as a battle manga, but there's some moments which are just like genuinely hilarious. Um, and I'm not talking. And I should say, as far as Jews Kaisen is concerned, I'm definitely a fan first and then a translator second. Um, even if I wasn't translating, I think I would be as big as a fan as I am. But it's so hilarious sometimes, and it's very refreshing. And I think that lends itself to one of the biggest quality of what makes Jews Kaisen so great is kind of the pacing with the storytelling. And um, I think a pitfall that a lot of Shonen Jump series have is the fact that it's a little bit too on the nose sometimes. It tends to kind of explain things a little bit too much and doesn't leave a lot for the reader to interpret. And as far as like the battle is concerned, um, there is a certain level of explanation that you have to do, I would say. Otherwise, manga as a medium does become very difficult to interpret if you don't explain to a certain degree, right? Um, but then there's some things like, let's say a character looks really sad and it's very obvious. You don't have to have the protagonist say, oh, she looks really sad right now. You know, like... You can tell. Yeah, obviously, I get that. Like, um, And I think that's kind of the stuff that does turn me off of some series sometimes uh, where they over-explain things too much. But I think Jujutsu Kaisen kind of has struck a good balance of not over-explaining and kind of leaving a lot for um, the reader to interpret. Yeah, there's a good moment like that where just the expression says so much with emotions left unsaid like in a in an early chapter like in the aftermath of when megumi uh fights uh sakuna taking control of itadori's body and then we have the thing where it seems like itadori is dead and then we have him and nobara kind of you know talking about it later and 
you know, Nora says, you know, I'm not the type of girl to get worked over some guy you just met. And then you just see, like, a panel, just a silent panel of, like, just her grimace on her face. And there's there's no, it's, it isn't like no words just pointing it out. You can just tell that it is affecting her just by her expression. Right, exactly. And no, that that's that's a perfect example. Um, and not only that, but Megumi is just as cool for not saying anything either out loud or in his head, right? He just looks at her and says, okay, she does care, but Akutami-sensei is smart enough not to have Megumi saying something in his head like, oh, she she's sad or she really does care for him. It's just kind of this like surprised look like, oh, okay. And per that's a perfect example. Yeah, it's just a trust in the readers to understand. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, the fact that I think mangaka kind of don't trust the readers sometimes enough to pick up on those kind of cues. Um, and sometimes when it's a little bit too on the nose, it's almost kind of taking the reader for granted and almost patronizing sometimes. And that, that's what I don't like sometimes where it's a, so on the nose where it's to the point where it's kind of patronizing. It's like, yeah, I get it. And it kind of breaks the flow of the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But speaking of the art, there's a term that you coined that I really love called cinematography, oh, yeah. which really <laughs> describes kind of the filmic qualities of a manga. You know, that how what about its line work, the paneling makes it really feel like the art is coming alive. It feels like it's moving, like you're actually watching a film. And I guess I, I want to ask you just further about like how you came up with the term, your philosophy behind it, and then in general, what draws you into the artistry of a manga? Yeah, um, when it comes to that specific term, it was just kind of happenstance. Like, um, you know, I, I was reading Jujutsu Kaisen and some its kind of dynamic quality and, you know, uh, in terms of its cinematography. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's a good way to incorporate this into manga. And then obviously cinematography the ma part just worked perfectly with manga <laughs> so i was just very fortunate it was just like oh it just clicked and i was like oh cinematography that's so perfect but uh yeah as far as the terminology that's just how it kind of came up but it really did come out of a fascination with not only jujutsu kaisen but how far the medium has come now mm -hmm. It's it's just really incredible. Like just kind of for for fun, I had read uh, you know some series from back in the day, and it's incredible. Like how the paneling and how simplistic it was, and how some of the battle, the way that it's conveyed, is so simplistic. And not to say that it that's not really a bad thing. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia to that. Um, but these days, it's just so dynamic. You have characters popping out of frames even popping out of like pages you have speech bubbles that are used in very creative ways kind of like these little techniques um which do create that sense of dynamic nature um and as far as cinematography like uh i think a recent series that i i know i've been enjoying is uh tokyo shinobi squad but tokyo shinobi squad and i totally understand the criticisms of it uh don't get me wrong um i think there, there is a lot of that kind of a uh, little bit too on the nose or it kind of almost lives and dies by Shonen Jump a little bit too much, uh, which is unfortunate because I think it could have 
explored kind of the world a little bit more or kind of the really more interesting concepts. But anyways, uh, the, the art style anyways, is a really standout point, I would say. And I know the art, Matsuda Sensei, who does the art versus uh, the mangaka are two different people. And I have a feeling that, you know, Tokyo Shinobi Squad is maybe not going to be around for too much longer, but I have a really good feeling that Matsuda Sensei is going to be back because some of the art in that series is fantastic. Oh yeah, there's some pretty cool action scenes in the series, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, as, as much as I didn't really care for that series in particular, you know, I, I, I would I would at least read another series by that artist, so... Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think that's really a good example of cinemangratography in terms of some of the angles that Matsuda Sensei takes. It's like, whoa, you put the camera, well, the figurative camera, right there, or like, you know, some of the the spreads, for example, or just the way that camera angles can tell a story, right? And for manga, you know, you have the different sets of medium, right? Like you have books, which are just words. You have manga, which are words and pictures. Then you have anime, which are, you know, words, pictures, as well as music and sound, right? Although you have like sound effects and stuff in manga, it's not as effective, right? Um, So as far as books are concerned, you know, I think that's why there's a lot of the parody between good books and bad books are so strong because you have to do a good job of explaining a lot of the stuff like, oh, I walked into this room, I could hear the sound of jazz music in the corner, the autumn breeze coming through the window had hit me on my face, so and so, so, right? But for manga, you don't necessarily have to do that because you can convey it through picture, although you don't have um, movement, right? So how do you create movement is by taking certain angles or using certain uh, paneling to your advantage. Um, and I think Jutes Kaisen has done a very good job of that. Um, some of the battles are very dynamic and represent movement, almost like the characters are popping out or moving on the page. Oh, yeah. And I think like we kind of mentioned it earlier, but the line work of Akatami's is really incredible, too. Like, uh, we discussed, like, how he varies his lines in terms of different thickness and the use of the calligraphy-like inky black lines. Like, I think that their ability to really uh, use different brushstrokes for... Uh, maximum impact visual impact is really impressive there's one tweet of uh, yours where you kind of broke down the different lines you used on this illustration of hanami uh, that i really really appreciated because it it really breaks down like how he illustrated him in such a really dynamic way in just a still panel like you still feel like there is a lot of movement in life within the just this one illustration Right. No, absolutely. Um, I think Akutami Sensei, and it's, it's, it almost kind of makes me wonder, considering how far they've come in just 80 chapters, um, like what it's going to be like in another 80 chapters, you know, if it's almost going to like, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, the series called uh, Vagabond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you yeah. know, so, oh yeah, I mean, and okay, perfect. And uh, of course, as manga lovers, I, I should have expected that, you know. Um, <laughs> But that 
Right. If you're talking about like manga being a form of art, like that's the pinnacle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But pr- pr- pretty much anything by, you know, a, you know, I say, yeah, no, exactly. Even with like slam dunk or something, for example. Um, but Vagabond definitely took that to kind of a new level. Um, and Akutami Sensei, there are definitely kind of these elements where it almost looks like a like a brush painting or something. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. And which is impressive considering that it's a weekly series. And I'm sure that they are pressed for time every week considering some of the detail that goes into the series. Yeah, they have a strong sense of draftsmanship. Like they're I, they're really skilled at gesture drawing. So they're able to make these loose drawings that perfectly are attuned to the anatomy of characters and also to the dynamicism of movement. And that's a difficult thing to do as someone who's, you know, taken a lot of art classes is just to get that down packed in such a dynamic, loose, fast way is really, really incredible. Like they're an insanely talented artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It's, it's just really exciting to see uh, how far that's going to go. But I guess now we'll talk more about kind of the fandom side of Jujutsu Kaisen because, you know, speaking of like the, the, the cinematography, cinematography tweets that you did earlier, you know, you, you joined, uh, Twitter around the time Jujutsu Kaisen began being simul-published by Viz and have really done a lot to, you know, discuss the series every week and highlight really cool things about it every week. And, uh, I was just wondering, like, how has the experience been, like, interacting with Jujutsu Kaisen fans on Twitter and, uh, the Reddit as well? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, so I guess it's been about, I never really used Twitter. I think I made an account a while back, but, um, I never really started being active until about, like you said, when uh, Jews Kaisen was announced as a simul pub. And the experience has been, I mean, mostly very po- uh, positive. I-, I think anytime, you know, the fandom is on a medium like Twitter or Reddit or a uh, Discord or something like that, you're always going to be running into people that uh, I think uh, <laughs> say things you know, with the comfort of not actually talking to the person. Okay, can I, can, can, <laughs> Which, I, can I just ask, do you... Please. Do you get a lot of mentions saying, Jujutsu Kaisen's mid, you know that, right? Like, just, just comments like that. Because <laughs> I, 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 see, I, see, I see a lot of fans throwing that kind of slang around in a lot of different series nowadays. Right, right. And, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, um, it, it really is. I, I think... And that's exactly what I mean, is that people say things that you would never say to an actual person, right? No. Especially <laughs> someone who loves the series, like, um, and it's just sometimes borderline rude. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just, I mean, we, we can, I don't want to deviate too far from the conversation, but kind of that is definitely a problem that I see in kind of our society now are... You know, kids who, and not just kids, adults, which is really, really stupid sometimes. Um, yep. Uh, saying things that like, you you know what? You would never say a comment like that to me, to my face, you know, if you know what's good for you kind of situation. Yeah, sometimes we, um, sometimes we don't deserve the internet ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and absolutely, absolutely. No, and that's completely true. And, um, but, but to answer your question, Colton, I actually, as far as comments like that specifically 
directed at me. Not really. Um, not on Twitter anyways. Like people will say those kind of things, but they don't necessarily like at me. They, right? they, they'll, they'll like go out of their way to like at you in particular. Right. Exactly. Which, which I'm very grateful for because I know like Caleb has had some of those experiences before, which is really unfortunate, especially someone of Caleb's caliber talking about like, oh. Yeah. And I mean, like no one deserves that kind of thing. But I mean, Caleb in particular, I don't think deserves that at all, especially considering how how how, how much work he puts into like, because he, he works on like a lot of different series. I know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he really does it out of love for the series and wanting to spread this kind of positivity about it. And I think people also have to understand that. Um, and I'm not trying to pass the blame or anything like that, but it's not just up to the translator, right? Um, a lot of it goes through an editing process and goes through a lot of different people's hands. Um, so a lot of it is changed along the way um and i'll i'll be the first one to admit if there's something that i had mistranslated or something then sure um but that's also you know the age that we live in we're able to kind of edit those things along the way by the time it's published into volumes or something for example yeah i was i was gonna say i'm, I'm assuming that kind of thing is a lot easier to do now yeah yeah absolutely absolutely especially with we're doing simulpub but then volumes come after there's the simulpub version because we need to just get content out sometimes. That's why volumes take a certain amount of time and why we have to fill the gap in this in Jude Skyson specifically over a certain amount of time because there's a certain level of polish mm -hmm. that goes into putting out a product which you can confidently say, yeah, this is a final product, a polished product. Um, mm -hmm. No, for sure. But yeah, as far as kind of Twitter, it's not too bad. I don't I don't want to really speak too much ill will, but um Yeah, that that yeah, this is this is not me trying to make it sound like no, oh no, you no, never no, get no, any no, like. Sure. Yeah, cuz I No, no, for sure. Yeah. Um but as far as no, no, but I I'm I'm glad that you kind of did touch on that though because I would say Twitter for the most part is not too bad. Um the kind of the leaks and stuff, especially with recent kind of announcements and stuff as far as the series is concerned has been quite unfortunate yeah um i i know i know that's been a problem for a long time yeah yeah and i mean and it's for me as the translator i just have to be in the know about a lot of these things um so i have to expose myself to as much content of judith kaisen as i can uh whether it's official or leaked right um just because I kind of pride myself on having that kind of knowledge. Um, but at the same time, I can un I can totally see how some fans who just want to enjoy the series officially, especially in the time that we live in now, where we can get it simul-pubbed, you know, how they're spoiled about certain things when it comes to content because of leaks and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, because they don't... Because they... they I, I know there's a lot of... There's a huge... Uh, a huge majority of people don't understand that like the like like the latest one piece chapters or whatever that they read on like readmangahere.com or whatever like <laughs> yeah. they, they they don't they don't realize that those are technically leaks and they shouldn't be out yet no absolutely absolutely and um yeah especially for something like one piece which is so unfortunate you'll see it like trending or something on twitter well, three weeks in a row yeah yeah exactly not even realizing that that's because of a leak, right? Um, and it's kind of unfortunate to see that. Um, but Twitter, I guess, not too bad. Um, Reddit, 
you know, Reddit is just kind of a meme factory, so that's not too bad, whatever, right? <laughs> and the kind of people that post stuff on Reddit are mostly people who just really enjoy the series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to go to Reddit to bash something. They're not going to go out of their way to do something like that, for the most part. No, not, um, not everyone, no. Right, right. Um, and I think Discord, Discord was really not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get that. I was kind of given you know, saw there was an access to a Judith Kaisen Discord and without going into too much detail, it really was not for me. Yeah, no, I I I, I get I get that feeling where it's like I, I have this thing with Discord where it's like I, I totally I totally wanna be in like my friends like servers and whatnot, but like I'm not I'm not I'm not always active or whatnot. So it's like, oh, I'm I'm sorry guys, I just I, I'd love to talk. I'm just I'm just busy right now. Sorry. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. And um, certainly as being the translator, it's uh, it's not a healthy place for me to be. <laughs> a lot, lot of lot of shade. Get, I, I think kind of, Colton, what you were alluding to, I uh, for the brief period that I and the brief content that I saw on Discord, I would say it more applies to that. Um, and I've kind of put that behind me. Mm. Yeah, I I can imagine that Discord is obviously the kind of place where like people can set up their own little clicks and be like, "Can you believe that guy?" Like, yeah, no, and <laughs> yeah. it totally is. It's it's that click mentality and the kind of like the it's the hotbed of kind of like the I almost describe it as kind of like the black market of <laughs> social media. <laughs> I've, I've I've seen I've seen screen caps of a lot of that kind of stuff around that people will find where it's like, wow. I, can't believe this kind of thing right if like if if like 4chan or 5chan or however many chans there are right now (laughs) is the actual black market like discord can be the place where you have like the messengers of the black market almost (laughs) yeah yeah but um i mean i know i was talking to uh lum about that a little bit um i have to kind of remind myself that it is oftentimes it comes out of a place of love for these series Right. Um, people want to get their hands on certain content as soon as possible uh, or kind of spread the word about certain content or just kind of get the discussion going, whether it be critical or positive. It always does come out of a place of love. And oftentimes when someone criticizes a series or a translator or whomever, it comes out of a little bit of a frustration because they love this series so much, right? Or, or even when like people put down other series to try to raise hers up, like even even that yeah. even that kind of weirdly <laughs> comes from a place of well, I, I like this thing and I want to make sure people know that or whatever. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Exactly. No, no, I t- I totally see what you mean by that. Um, but I know kind of the fandom can get. I think um, I hate to say this, but. I think people have a little bit too much on time on their hands sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, and I, think I mean, that's don't fair, get me yeah. wrong. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I oftentimes find myself kind of living and breathing manga or anime or what have you, but I think it's very important. And this is just coming from Stefan Koza as a human being and a person who's lived, you know, a certain number of years and can call myself a senpai to a lot of the manga fandom and stuff. But I implore people to kind of broaden their horizons a little bit, you know, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, don't just sit in front of your computer all the time. Like you have to do, you have to get some exercise. No, like it, yeah, I mean, exercise is important and all that. Like I grew up uh, watching and playing sports. 
Um, so I have a lot of hobbies outside of uh, manga and anime as well. I love to cook. I love to listen to music. Um, oftentimes anime and video game music as well, but uh, different types of music like jazz music or classical or what have you. Uh, I love sports. I love art and I love traveling, um, love photography. So I think it's really important for people to kind of, I don't, sorry, I don't mean to deviate too much for the conversation. No, no, it's totally I, fine. I, 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 get, I get what you mean. Even something as small as like, hey, you know, like broadening your horizons is term in terms of like what kind of media you consume. Like I constantly see comments from like all different kinds of people in the industry, whether they whether they work in translation or they work at like Shueisha or whatever, where it's like, you know, some some of the best manga comes from people that don't just read manga all the time. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. I know like uh, a recent example for uh, that first comes to mind is someone like um, Hideo Kojima. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, who did like the Metal Gear series and Death Stranding recently. I'm a big fan of him. I was actually sorry, I don't mean to flex, but I was lucky enough to go to a uh, Death Stranding um, <laughs> art gallery in New York um, because one of my uh, one of my pieces was actually selected to be displayed there oh, that's awesome. and wow. an official event. Yeah. Which, which was such a cool experience, but I digress. It's, it's really just about kind of Hideo Kojima. And of course he has his eccentricities for anyone who knows him, but he always talks about how it's important, you know, how he loves movies and to kind of gain knowledge from different types of uh, media, like you said. Um, and it, it kind of, when it comes to manga and anime too, I think an understanding of certain series that you love can benefit from kind of broadening your horizons and kind of expanding, you know, life experiences and things like that. Uh, you can find, oftentimes find that it'll allow you to see manga that you love from a different perspective. No, yeah, for sure. Um, first off, I was waiting for you to finish that story with, and then I met my best friend, Hideo Kojima. Um, <laughs> you know what? Oh my God. But you know what? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I did walk by him. Oh, nice, nice. I actually did. Oh, wow. No, and and this is this is not this is not I, I'm it's uh the craziest thing because I was actually walking to the event and around the blo uh the corner where the event was held, he was walking across the street as I was walking across the street with his posse as well. Whoa. And it's so crazy and, and I beat myself up over not asking for a picture or an autograph or something, but I you know I just said like a gambatte kudasai kind of thing in Japanese and that was it but like ah, I kind of kicked myself but I <laughs> I can say that I did walk by him <laughs> oh, that's cool. and he smiled at me <laughs> um, but but no I was I was also gonna say um, I totally get where you're coming from because it's like you know I when, when it comes to like a particular creator that I, I happen to be a fan of or whatever um, you know m most of the time if if I find something and I really like that thing, you know, I I'm, I'm gonna go out of my way to be like, well, what are they into? Like, I I want to see what really like influences them, yeah. and then I what inspires them. Yeah, like I guess jo JoJo being the best like example of that. Like I I mean I I I grew up listening to a lot of like classic rock already, but like oh yeah, yeah. But, but I think it's because of JoJo that I was just like, you know what, I want to I want to look up the music that Araki's pulling inspiration from you know and that's how i got into like start, uh, that's how i started listening to artists like you know ronnie james dio 
that I hadn't already mm-hmm. been listening to before. So yeah. 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 Cool. Very cool. Yeah. No, for sure. It's uh, I, I think it just makes such a better product too when it's not just kind of pigeonholed or kind of two one note. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's why one of my, I think if not my favorite series of all time is, uh, Samurai Champloo, mm-hmm. as far as anime is concerned. Mm, yeah. Um, Samurai Champloo is just, just the inspiration with its music and kind of the art style. It's just so, so cool. And it's, it's, uh, it's obviously from a love of different, uh, genres of music or, um, kind of, yeah, no, it was just, it's just such a cool, cool series. Yeah. It really makes me imagine different influences and making something new out of it. That's really a great uh, philosophy when it comes to creating new art. Uh, I was at the Megalobox panel at Anime NYC, and uh, director Moriyama discussed how, you know, when creating Megalobox, you know, they didn't just want to, like, make a new version of Machine and Joe. They really incorporated their own, uh, like, interests and and what they really liked into the series, which is, so they brought in like influences from, you know, Western movies and then influences from like, uh, hip hop music. And they really made that a huge part of the aesthetic of the show. And, uh, even the old time nostalgic feel of it was based on uh, Moriyama's love of like watching movies on VHS as a kid and just that look of movies, uh, on old TVs. Yeah, no, I I saw I saw your uh, post about uh, Megalo Box two being announced, and uh, as a fan of season one, uh, that that should be that should be awesome. Oh yeah, I'm really uh, they they did a great job with the series. Mm-hmm. But oh, just also on the subject of uh, fandom, you you've also created you know a positive juju uh, Jujutsu Kaisen podcast, and you have a YouTube channel where you go through Japanese manga volumes. Like you did uh, Jujutsu Kaisen like character book. You've done like uh, volumes of Spy Family and uh, Way of the House Husband. And uh, the j- last year's, uh, I guess this year's, the 2019 Jump Giga that had some Jujutsu Kaisen stuff in it. So I just uh, wanted to ask you like the inspirations behind starting both the podcast and the YouTube channel and some what have been some of the most fun part about creating the podcast and these videos uh, and just like how are you enjoying them so far? Yeah, no, I mean, thanks very much for asking about that. Um, I, I would say as far as uh, Positive Juju, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen podcast, it's I'm not going to lie. There, there definitely was a part of me that uh, wanted to kind of get first dibs on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just be, being able to say that, you know, the classic uh, first. But um, it definitely was because I knew that the series was going to start gaining some popularity and to kind of create uh, content um, before it really did explode. But at the same time, it it really did come out of a love for the series, kind of what we were talking about before. Um, uh, And a lot of things that I can't necessarily express the way that I want to on Twitter, for example, um, and kind of go into depth about the series. And um, as the title suggests, Positive Juju, just to kind of, and I know you guys are a big... uh, big advocates about kind of spreading positive uh, positivity and stuff. And that's definitely, it just, I, I, again, this was another kind of, uh, kind of a lucky terminology that, you know, juju was just uh positive juju just seemed to kind of click in terms of kind of the message that I wanted to do. Um, 
But as far as the podcast specifically, um, the design of it, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, it's more of kind of an experience. Um, and in terms of kind of the way that the music is used, the sound effects are used and, um, anytime someone compliments me on the way that I use the music or the flow of it, that makes me really happy. Genuinely. Oh yeah. Like you really set a good mood and tone with the music and you, I really appreciate how you just let the music play and linger on it just to like get you in the mood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, no, thank you so much. And I mean, I, I, I have to be upfront though, like, in t- like, I'm not the one that made this music or anything like that. So I definitely give full credits to the people who designed this music, but at the same time, um, you know, and it's royalty free, so I'm going to take advantage of that, but definitely give credit to those who did make that music. But it's, um, I, I did want to create this kind of experience that's a little bit digestible in about half an hour but almost something that you can kind of like sit back and relax with and lounge with and kind of flow with and uh, kind of get that positive juju going, you know? Oh, yeah. So I guess, um, and I, I hate to show my ignorance here, but like, I no, 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 please. I actually haven't listened to the podcast. So maybe for, maybe for uh, those listening who might not actually know about positive juju, like what is, what what is what is kind of like the the idea and structure behind the podcast? Like, what do you what do you actually like? What 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 do you actually like talk about on the show or whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, it definitely is Jujutsu Kaisen centric. Um, I might I might deviate and talk about like Japanese culture and stuff like that as well. But as far as the podcast is concerned, it is very uh, Jujutsu Kaisen centric, and the format. I almost imagine in my head kind of um, what being at Jujutsu High would almost be like in terms of the sounds that would hear and sounds that you would hear in the series. So I'm able to, and kind of the feel of the series as far as the music is concerned. Um, so I almost kind of recreate a scenario. Like I think the first episode was kind of how it would feel like uh, like I always, I structure it as a class, mm, like you're okay. sitting down for a class at Jujutsu High, the school bell rings, and then I talk about a topic in Jujutsu Kaisen, like, oh, Jujutsu Kaisen's been getting really popular lately, I wonder why, kind of, and talk about that, but then, like, then you'll hear footsteps outside, you know, like, footsteps going through the hallway. Uh, see, uh, that that sounds amazing, I, I, I love, I love doing stuff like that as well for Maga Mavericks and whatnot, so... Oh yeah, no. So I all yeah, no, and it's it's kind of get you almost immersed in the experience and then like let's say I talk about another topic and after that's done in the intermission all um you know the footsteps that you heard earlier are now going down a set of stairs and opening a door and they're going into a car and driving off and then in the next intermission you'll hear like thunder in the in in the distance and then you'll hear like crows or something like that and just kind of creating that um atmosphere and uh almost kind of like you're like you're there yeah see i i yeah cuz as, as someone who edits manga mavericks like i i i i love i love doing that kind of stuff too whenever i have the opportunity so like yeah i'll i'll have to listen to that sometime oh yeah no definitely uh i uh i i know i have a lot to learn from you guys too so <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, I, but um, oh no, please go ahead. No, I really love like the the aesthetic of the podcast and how you've like set use sound effects and music to like create a real experience. Like, and with this idea in mind of like you're actually like in this classroom setting in Jujutsu High, you're actually going places to learn new things. And I really like that you incorporate like a Japanese lessons in the podcast and you have questions about the series uh, in the podcast, like the JSAS and Jujutsu starts to aptitude test. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a really fun kind of interactive, engaging uh, podcast experience that's really, really unique. Yeah, no, it's... um. It's been very fun, and I, um, as far as creating more content, um, I did kind of take a little bit of a break because Jujutsu Kaisen, you know, as of right now, it's really just the the manga, and there's only so much I can really talk about it without starting to sound a little monotonous. Um, but now that other mediums are going to start coming out, uh, it'll be interesting to start exploring that. Um, and as far as kind of talking about um japanese as a language or japan as a culture i definitely like to incorporate that into the podcast as well but not dive too far into it um because i save that kind of stuff for my youtube channel um steady studios uh like you mentioned um that's where i kind of like to talk about not just Jujutsu kaisen but other forms of manga as well um and i'm gonna slowly start incorporating like japanese snack introductions and stuff too um and uh maybe doing like uh anime food inspired uh cooking lessons um so like different food that show up in anime whether it be like uh jutsu kaisen or uh like shokugeki no food wars um or other other series as well i'm gonna maybe try my hand at that um, but I think my YouTube channel is going to be kind of from the perspective and like you mentioned with the podcast as well, I just thought that it might be something interesting that people would, uh, like hearing the perspective of a translator. Um, so I, because I know a lot of people love to hear what Caleb has to say because he's the translator of my hero academia. Um, you know, and there are certain perspectives that he can offer, because of that fact. So I'm trying to achieve that and kind of explore um, that through my podcast as well as the YouTube channel. But really, it just comes out of a love and I've always wanted to try something like that. And I'm able to kind of have the time to actually do that now. Oh, yeah. And I always find the videos very interesting from that your perspective. Like to look through like the original Japanese volumes. I like when you compared like uh recently I think in your Jujutsu Kaisen Volume One video the English volume and the ja- Japanese first volume of Jujutsu Kaisen and like the differences between like the spine art uh and like the aesthetics between them and I thought that was really cool. Ah, uh, thank you. Very very kind of you. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's just interesting and not just a translator, but from the perspective of someone who's grown up speaking the language and being around Japanese culture too. I also kind of want to offer that perspective and have that reflect in my content. And speaking of the first one, Jujutsu Kaisen, that is coming out in English very soon, December 3rd, I believe. And yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, you know, this volume release has been a long time coming. And what are your favorite parts of this first one of the series? And 
you know, now from the perspective of of you as a translator and also, you know, being invested in the series for uh, 80 plus chapters, like, what are some things that you would like fans to pay attention to while reading the first one of the series that come into play later? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, as far as, uh, and you're right, it does come out on December 3rd, uh, right around the corner. It'll probably be out by the time this podcast is out. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So um, pick it up for Christmas. <laughs> get a copy for yourself and for your friends and whomever. Um, get get at least three copies and put them in your stocking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. No, but um, really kind of all jokes aside, it's, it's, it's kind of just really cool to see this product come to life. And uh, really, I, I can only take really just a small amount of the credit because the letter uh, sneer as well as uh, the editor John Bay and just kind of the design that Sean did with the volume itself and just the team at Viz, they did a really great job. And uh, I think it's just so cool to, I mean, obviously for me, it has a kind of a special place, but I know a lot of fans, this is a long time coming and to actually have that product in your hand is going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. I would say as far as volume one specifically, obviously it's kind of the intro to the series and kind of what we were talking about before. I think uh, for fans who haven't read read the earlier chapters in a while, I think the first thing that's going to stand out is how much the art style has changed. That's definitely one point that I think is going to kind of stand out. Um, I think kind of really getting introduced to the main trio is going to be very cool for people who immediately get into the series i think and for people who are familiar with uh, naruto for example and i'll I'll be the first one to admit that i definitely saw similarity as far as the structure is this main trio two boys one girl the cool teacher it's almost like right the naruto sasuke and um sakura and right uh, kakashi sensei but at first glance it is but it is very different um, and I think that's where I, I'd like uh, readers to kind of see. Um, Itadori is incredibly, and not to say that Naruto isn't or anything, but uh, Itadori is very endearing in a very different way. And he's he he really knows who he is. And I think oftentimes in uh, Shonen Jump series, uh, the protagonist, there's a lot of kind of battling inside in terms of them finding who they are and this and that. But Itadori, although he does have those qualities. Um, yeah, it's 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 very rare that you get a show to jump series where the main character is already very well established and they've already kind of like gone through their arcs or whatnot. Right. So he he knows who he is and he doesn't really care about what other people have to say. And he's just such a cool character and he really wants to just help other people. He cares for other people more than himself. And I think that's a that's a cool quality about him. Um and oftentimes you see you see that, right, in uh in Shonen Jump protagonists where like they'll uh you know they they they're heroes at heart and they really want to do what's right. And uh I think for Itadori his driving force is because he really just wants to help other people and uh, he cares for other people more than himself. Yeah. Megumi is he's at first glance very similar to uh Sasuke but he's a lot he he's such a cool character um I think Sasuke is a little bit too 
he's a little bit too cool for school for my taste sometimes. And I think uh, as the series goes on, he kind of grows a little bit more. Right. But sometimes just like, dude, (laughs) chill out, man. Yeah. You know, um, but uh, with Megumi, he's just a big softy. And the difference between him and and Sasuke is too, but again, Megumi shows it. Right. Um, Sorry. I I didn't, I don't, I don't mean this to become like a, a put down of not or anything. Believe me, I love the series. I'm just saying what what defines Jujutsu Kaisen as something different, right? Yeah. Um, but Megami, he's uh, a lot more. Uh, he he's not afraid to say like I care about you guys or this and that. Um, and I think that's such a refreshing quality of the kind of the brooding type. Oftentimes they're so like cool for school that they don't say anything, but he's not afraid to show that. Yeah, he's very empathetic. I mean, in right. the second chapter, he's like, I don't want to let Itadori die. You know, there might be problems letting him live as Sukuna's vessel, but I care about this person. He's a good person. I don't want him to die. So it's like he he is really compassionate about other people and protecting other people in the same way Itadori is. And I really appreciate like the protagonists are very self-sacrificing. Really, all of them have moments like that because, you know, Itadori has a moment very early on in Volume 2 where he sacrificed himself. And in the first volume, Gugisaki even has a moment where this kid is taken hostage uh, by the... by uh, a cursed spirit. A curse, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, she, you know, she's put in the situation where she can attack the spirit, but she'd be, uh, you know, putting the kid in danger. So she kind of just uh, throws up her hands. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I really like how self-sacrificing and noble and uh, how strong the ideals of all the principal characters are. Right. Exactly. Um, they really know who they are. And like you alluded to with um, Kugisaki, she especially really knows who she is and is seems to be very comfortable in her own skin. Obviously, she probably has her vulnerabilities as any other high school girl, but she seems to really know who she is and know the difference between right and wrong. And that's what and obviously she's she's funny just as a character and kind of her eccentricities, but she's just a really good girl at heart. So I mean, and obviously um, you know, we kind of get introduced to Gojo Sensei and he's just He's just that he fills that niche, you know, in in the manga. It's just the cool, overpowered character who uh, is just knows how to handle himself. But obviously, kind of with uh, recent flashback arcs and stuff, we kind of find out more about him. And um, although we don't find out in volume one, we find out more about uh, his uh, old classmate, Gitto, who's kind of the the main antagonist. Um, And I think that's another thing that really separates the series is ghetto is such a interesting character he's not just evil for the sake of being evil you kind of see where he he's just overly stubborn and then he kind of has a twisted sense of reality and which makes a kind of has the elements for a really interesting antagonist kind of like magneto or something for example he reminds me a lot of Sensui in the way that Sensui's ideals were turned topsy-turvy due to a traumatic experience. And so he went from someone who taught himself as a protector of humans to now someone who is seeking to destroy yeah. all humans uh, besides a select group. Right, right, right. And I mean, and that's no that's no coincidence either because Akutami Sensei has obviously um, 
has kind of expressed their inspirations of series like uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can even see it kind of like in the design or some of the kind of the plot devices and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 very cool to see. And, uh, you know, kind of as a fan of Yu Yu Hakusho as well, it's cool to see those little nods. Oh, yeah. And Jujutsu Kaisen really is a series that's really cool to like go back and reread from the beginning and see some of the little plot threads and details that are like sprinkled in from very early on. Where it'd be like foreshadowing of characters that will pop up later, like a mention of that fruit, like Megumi mentioning uh, Zenin Senpai in the first chapter, alluding to Maki later on. And then just other details about like relationships between characters or why characters are doing things they're doing. It's really, really cool. Yeah, no, and I think uh, that's a great point. And that's kind of what we were talking about, um, how the series does a good job to kind of leave certain elements open, um, but they always kind of get explored later on. And I think um, I think some readers get a little bit too antsy as far as like the powers or some of the plot de- devices are concerned, saying like, oh, I don't get this. Like, what does that mean? And they even ask me sometimes. And you're not supposed to understand what it means at that point in the manga. It's it's intentionally left kind of open-ended, but it's kind of explored later on at, an, at the appropriate time. So that's definitely something that I would like fans to kind of see in volume one. Kind of these plot points that are kind of, you know, thrown out there, but aren't quite explained quite yet. Yeah, uh, but that's, that's definitely a great aspect to look at when uh, reading volume one. Mm-hmm. It's always really cool to notice when an author has really planned out their series well and in a lot of great detail. And so it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And with weekly serialized manga, especially, like it's always really rewarding to go back and kind of reread series to kind of see how all the pieces fall into place that you might not have picked up uh, during the weekly serialization. But when you exactly. reread it, Linearly, it's like, wow, this all comes together incredibly. Right, no, exactly. Um, Kind of like Oda Sensei or something, for example, with One Piece. Um, It's almost so, so like um, complex that I wonder sometimes if he's not just winging it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) You know, where where, uh, fans kind of almost put meaning to something that's not supposed to have a meaning. But I mean, yeah, for definitely for like series like One Piece, but uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, you definitely see that where it's like, oh my God, when this person said that, that's what they were referring to, which is explored like 60 chapters later or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think the flashback arc that happened recently was definitely a lot of, oh, wow, like here's some histories of like some established characters and how a lot of things are connected and what is motivating the current conflict in the present day. So that that was especially really cool. It was it was very timely. Um and I think uh it went on for about 11 or 12 chapters if I'm not mistaken. I know as a weekly series that's over like the course of 3 months, which can kind of seem long for a flashback, but you have to realize that down the road this is just going to be like a volume and a half or if even. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it'll it'll go by quicker. Right. Exactly, exactly. Um but it was very necessary. It was very timely and it it did a lot. I have a, you know, sometimes flashbacks are explored where it doesn't really do anything. Um, where some, it's almost just kind of like borderline fan service sometimes. Um, and there definitely were kind of elements of fan service in the flashback with uh, Judith Kaisen, but 
yeah, it did a great job of kind of really creating a more dense uh, storyline within Jujutsu Kaisen. Yeah, and I think we definitely needed this table setting of the relationship between uh, Gojo and Geto, and, Geto, and yeah. then how Gojo uh, found Megumi and uh, basically kind of adopted in a sense, you know, into the Jujutsu Kaisen school. And then it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, especially because the current stuff is now like the culmination of like something built up from near the beginning of like the the villain's plans to seal Gojo. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And uh, without going into too much detail uh, with the Shibuya arc going on right now, um, I mean, I talk about it on my podcast and stuff. So, but it's a very exciting time in the series. Yeah, I think they were going to be entering a really crazy climactic arc. I mean, I already love like the the recent chapters and like how the battle is set up and yeah, uh, how they are using like civilians as like kind of sh- human shields. Uh, to kind of limit Gojo's movements, it's like cr- it, it's so Hunter Hunter in that sense, and like <laughs> right, right. So that that that's what I've been told, yeah. And so yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's it's incredible uh, what you were saying about how how it all seems to kind of be planned out, and you really have to give credit to Octami since that you're like, wow, how how do they think of this, you know? Um, <laughs> and I talk about it a little bit on my Twitter, like how they. They use Shibuya Station as an actual strategic like location, not just it's not just Shibuya for the sake of being Shibuya because everyone knows the name. It's actually used in a a strategic way. And they even go further go on in uh, Harajuku because now Itarori's group are heading over to Harajuku, Meiji Jingu Mai Station. And that station, I won't go too much into it, but it's incredible. The, the amount of detail that Aktami Sensei uses using the station as an actual weapon. Oh, yeah. Like the, the use of real world geography and then applying it to how it will restrict like the, the powers of the, of the characters is pretty it's crazy. incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I guess just to wrap up, I guess some last things I'm curious about uh, in terms of the series are like, who, what, who would you say is your favorite character? Uh, what's your been your favorite storyline fight so far? Uh, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I would say. I mean, if if I'm allowed to pick, maybe a few. Um, obviously, I think Itadori is a very compelling character, but you know, for reasons that are pretty obvious. Um, I would say one of my kind of my other picks would be uh, Nanami. He's uh, one of like the the grade one sorcerers who teaches at Tokyo High. Because of his actual curse technique as well is very cool, um, but his um, his kind of perspective on the Jujutsu world is very interesting. I think Geto is a very compelling antagonist, and I enjoy him. Not to diss Mahito or anything, but I think he's much more interesting than Mahito. So it's interesting to see that. And kind of my super, super left field pick is, and for fans of the series will know who I'm talking about, is the bread shop girl um, who uh, who <laughs> Nanami talks to. And it's this is a very, she only like appears for like a few pages, but she left an impression in my heart. <laughs> well, it seems like fans agree to Julius in Japan because I believe that character was like number 19th in the popularity. Oh, oh right, right, right. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and it's she's not even like she has nothing to do with the story or anything, but 
And that's incredible because there are characters which Akutami Sensei introduces that just leave such a big impact. Like there's um in one of the I think it might have been but uh released, but um there's a cafe scene where yeah, because uh, Geto is talking to the special grade Chris in a cafe. Yeah. And then the, the waiter. Uh, the waiter like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanna quit. I can see yeah. these tears. It's freaking me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. He he like he he senses a primal fear. And he's the one guy that's smart enough to run away. And he like that's why he's so yeah, no, and it's it's so cool. <laughs> and but he's literally only in there for like a, a couple pages. <laughs> but he was like in the popularity rank, I think he was like in uh like 12th or 13th or something nuts like that oh yeah i think that akatami sensei is really good at making characters that leave a strong impression like immediately right and i feel the same way with like a lot of the major characters when they're introduced like they have very strong introductions where you get a sense of the character like right off the bat yeah exactly like uh total uh for example he's He's so yeah he's such an interesting character right but um he seems to be very like aloof at uh not aloof is the right word, but he's very eccentric, but he's incredibly smart, very strategic, and he has a lot going for him. He's just kind of can't read the room sometimes <laughs> and is a little <laughs> bit too hot headed, but he's a very, very interesting character. Oh yeah, he's very passionate and uh kind of into his own enthusiasm for things, even if it doesn't like match up with reality. Like how he he was thinking that he and Itadori would be able to like team up if Itadori right. got re- the recommendation to be uh, <laughs> a, a, a rank one sorcerer, and then he had to be told by Mei that oh no, because you recommended him, you won't be able. You're to not that- <laughs> exactly, and just kind of the look on his face. Yep, yep, exactly. It's so funny. No, and those are the kind of hilarious points of the series too. Oh, yeah. Uh, great humor in the series as well. Yeah. Yep. For sure. A lot of cool characters. I think also, in terms of like uh, designs, uh, I really like Jogo just for his like Mount Fuji head, like his yeah, like, yeah. kind of volcano top that, like, you know, he, and the he one kind of boosts that and... steam when he's angry. Yeah. 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 So exactly. Good. Yeah. And we'll definitely be seeing more of him in the recent chapters. Oh, yeah. We'll look forward to that. Mm hmm. But uh, on the subject of like uh, that character, like I was like one of my favorite fights in the series, I think has been was like Gojo versus Jogo. Oh yeah, yeah, and the and the names are uh, are an onomatopoeia of each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in English, anyways, <laughs> not in Japanese, but in English, yeah. Actually, no, in uh, in uh, in Japanese, it is as well. Gojo and Jogo, the kanji are different, but yeah. Anyways, I don't know if that was the intention. But <laughs> it works out well. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, what are some of your, like, favorite, like, fights or even storylines so far, too? Um, let's see. I would, I would kind of say the kind of the Junpei arc without spoiling too much. Um, it was kind of a necessary evil, and we got to find out a lot more about, you know, Nanami and Yuji, uh, Mahito as well. But I think the flashback arc maybe kind of was, has been my favorite so far. Uh, really kind of finding out more about uh, Geto as well as uh, Gojo, how he's not just this one-tone, overpowered dude. He has this really kind of sensibility about him as well. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, the flashback was done very, very well. And uh, we got to see uh, Megumi's father and stuff too. And he was a very interesting character as well. 
Yeah, the the flashback art is definitely up there for me, and I think I also, even though I haven't read the, like the beginning of it because they're not in the vaults, I really like the Goodwill event because I thought there were a lot of really great fights and like character interactions in that, and uh, you know Yuji and uh, Aoi versus uh, Hanami was really really good. Oh yeah, absolutely with uh, Aoi's uh, boogie woogie. Oh, it's so, such a, dude, oh, it's such a, a cool power. power. Oh yes. man, oh. it's so funny because I I remember, and no joke. Before that kind of boogie woogie power was revealed, I was watching um, Dragon Ball Super and the uh, Tournament of Power, and I was thinking to myself, how convenient a power where you can just switch places with people would be. Yeah. Where you just throw yourself off the edge, and then you (laughs) switch places with someone else, and all of a sudden they're going off the edge, and just rinse and repeat. And then, this is like really no joke, um, and then... Aoi Todo came out with his power and I was like, that's it. You know, it's such a simple concept, but it's so effective in the right hands. Oh, yeah. Like the way that they were able to throw Hanami off by using the switch power and then the one moment where they didn't switch, like really allowing them to deliver really damaging blow. It was so good. Exactly. Exactly. No, and it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that's explored further when you have multiple people in that arena, right? Yeah. And I'm also interested in seeing a lot of the series and how the fights look when they are animated. And kind of on that subject, you know, it was recently announced that Jujutsu Kaisen is getting an anime. And I was kind of wondering, like, about some of your thoughts on that. Like, what are you hoping from it in terms of, like, uh, studio, uh, what the production would look like, how long it would be, stuff like that. Maybe an ideal casting. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um yeah, I think this was a long time coming, and uh, it was only a matter of time before it was announced. Um, as far as like a studio, I I am very particular towards maybe like a production IG, uh, the ones that did like Haikyuu. Um, they also did uh, Death Parade. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it it's I think I think more because of the. The almost the the animation style, it almost has this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a cloudy quality to it almost. And the animation style, some of the angles that they take are very, very creative. And although Haikyuu doesn't really do battle, you can see from some of the, again, the cinematography that they would be masters of battle manga. Um, And maybe they have, and I'm just not familiar with the series, but... They also do a very good job of kind of exploring human emotions and stuff, which is a big part of uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, so as far as the studio, um, Projection IG, MAPPA, um, I know Bones gets thrown around a lot because of their credibility with um, like My Hero Academia or uh, Mob Psycho 100. Like Mob Psycho 100 was like, I, I think they actually won 2019 as far as their <laughs> yeah. animation, if you ask me. I mean, Demon Slayer did a fantastic job as well. Don't get me wrong, but Mob Season 2 is just incredible. I, I think I think you'd really be hard pressed to say that Mob Psycho Season 2 wasn't the pinnacle of animation in 2018. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, when you see credentials like that, Bones is very interesting as well. As far as kind of voice actors and stuff, I did have a post on Twitter kind of charting out the different voice actors that I always hear when I translate in my head. I, uh, I, I'm i not very good with names, so I'm going to be honest, but um, uh, for like Yuji, 
I know they, they already announced the first, like the main trio of uh, voice actors, but just kind of off the top of my head, I think would be cool would be like uh, for Aoi Todo is um, what's his name? Uh, the guy that does uh, Zoro. Kazuya Nakai. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Kazuya Nakai. Like he has that. Although like, you know, obviously like Yami Sensei or like, um, like Eraserhead or something, for example, they have certain qualities about them. I think he would do well with uh, Aoi Todo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's it'll be interesting to see. I think um, the anime being introduced is uh, going to be great for the series and for its popularity. Well, if my uh, if my Google foo is correct, uh, mm-hmm. Ju- Junya Inoki will be voicing. Uh, Itadori, who, okay, from what I could tell, um, at, at least uh, out of all the credits, like I recognize, apparently voiced of Fugo in the Part Five anime. Okay, so, so, so that'll be interesting. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I think, um, who is it? Megumi is going to be uh, voiced by whomever did, uh, I guess, Kai in Digimon in the recent series. Yeah, if I'm not hmm. mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll be very interesting to see. I, uh, I. I Cannot wait. Oh, yeah. I think that Jujutsu is really gonna... It'll really blow up if it's got a good studio behind it. It's well-paced behind it. I think, like, a good true core anime that covers through the Goodwill event would be really solid. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, It's... it's. I kind of alluded to this a little bit with my podcast, uh, the very first episode. Or no, maybe it was the second episode where I talked about how there were kind of rumors about um Jujutsu Kaisen anime coming out and uh what a solid anime does for a series is popularity I mean and obviously with My Hero Academia although it was very popular the anime just completely boosted it and all of a sudden it became this phenomenon right um same thing with uh Demon Slayer for example I mean people who like Demon Slayer you know read it week in week out and stuff but it was not nearly as popular until this anime came out, and all of a sudden you see what it does for volume sales and things like that as well. Oh, yeah. Like crazy. It's basically going to end the year as the number one selling title of the year in Isn't Japan. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, detroning One Piece is insane. That, that, that's... Like, it's, it's, we, we finally got there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's happened, you know? No, that, that's incredible. It, it really is. And just think uh, Jujutsu Kaisen might do the same. You never know. Yeah, yeah, no. And um, I think I think it really does have the potential to do so. Kind of it has all the right elements, you know, people with powers, uh, endearing characters, good battle. Um, and like you say, if it's handled correctly, uh, it could really just propel it into a different level of popularity. And uh, don't get me wrong, the, uh, the manga itself is doing... It- very very well in japan um as far as sales and stuff are concerned for a series that is relatively new but i think as far as kind of getting it to wider audiences a manga handled correctly will just really propel it so uh i'm excited i i'm i welcome all bandwagon fans and their friends and (laughs) (laughs) and and just think within two years it'll probably even be on toonami I, I that that that's crazy, right? Isn't that? Yeah, I know that that's just incredible to think about. It could be, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, no, it's um, we'll see. I mean, I don't think a release date has been announced yet, but if history shows, uh, probably looking at sometime around next spring or summer or. I was, I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming it'll probably come out sometime next year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think 2020 is just going to be a, just a very interesting year, not just for manga and stuff, but in Japan, you know, they're having like the Olympics and stuff. And just the fact that it's 2020, you know, it's just, it's going to be such a cool year for, for Japan and Japanese culture and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's a new decade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. New decade, a new era of manga. Yep, yep. No, for sure, for sure. I think, uh, you know, there's that kind of, that idea about the big three and things like that. But um, I think we're finally getting to a point where, you know, Shonen Jump has really kind of, you know, they were having a hard time filling that void. But now with series like My Hero Academia or Jutsu Kaisen, Dr. Stone... You know, Haikyuu is, although Haikyuu kind of seems to be heading into its final arc, um, it's a cool time to be a Shonen Jump fan, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, now that there are, not that there are, you know, more than three popular series available in the U.S., I, 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 <laughs> right. I, I feel like I feel like we could probably do away with the whole big yeah, three exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly. No, no, for, yeah. at this point. for sure, for sure. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I never really liked that idea of the uh, the big three and stuff anyways. Uh, it's you're just kind of pigeonholing yourself into that kind of uh that pigeonhole <laughs> mm-hmm, but, um, for sure it's uh i think in the day and age that we live in right now with places like uh viz media or crunchyroll funimation doing a fantastic job with their services i think it's uh it's just an awesome time to be a fan and there's almost so much out there that uh some i have to do a lot of catch up sometimes where Oh, Back yeah. in the day, you know, you, you know, that that whole that cliche of kids don't know how good they got it. You know, it's I don't I don't want to sound like an old man, but I mean, they it's don't. True, though. <laughs> no, no, they, they really don't. They really don't. And it's like, yet you still have people complaining. You know, I'm like, I cannot believe it. Like, you know, people had to run to the store to grab a copy of the uh, physical magazine and you weren't even sure. And anime, you have to, you know, kind of exploit some loopholes to get your hands on that but now uh it's readily available of a high quality and it's cheap as hell but stefan it's always late show to jump is supposed to come out on thursdays why does it always come out on sunday i know right isn't that crazy man i i just cannot believe people sometimes man i just cannot believe it it's uh I, it's it's really one of those kind of just shake my head kind of moments, and I have to remind myself I to not let it bother me. But it just yeah, it blows my mind sometimes, man. I it really does. I mean, I know you guys were talking about how like uh, with the movies and stuff too. Like, who would have thought ten years ago that we'd be getting feature length uh, films for like My Hero Academia, One Piece, uh, Demon Slayer in American theaters? Oh yeah, you know. Like you, you had to get some sort of ripped VHS copy to get your hands on anime and stuff back in the day. But now it's like, or go to Blockbuster or something like that. And they had a very minimal selection, but now, man. Now you can just log on to Crunchyroll. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's just that, that easy. Got, got Crunchyroll going on one screen while I'm doing my homework on another screen. It's like, yeah. Watching anime is so easy that 
that the idea of torrenting anything sounds like a chore. <laughs> it, no, it, no, no, you're absolutely right. It's it's gotten to that point where it's easier to do that. And I mean, anyone who I mean, I'll be frank. Anyone who says that they can't, like, ah, but I gotta pay for it. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know, scrounge up a couple dollars for all this manga content a month, or you can't spend like what? What is it like? 10, 10, 15, like 12 bucks or something, or however much I it is. I don't know, Stefan. Two, yes. two bucks a month sounds pretty steep. <laughs> it's very disrespectful considering all the hard work that artists it really is. put into making these series and all the hard work that, you know, localizers, translators, editors put into bringing these series over here. You know, people have uh, bills to pay they need to eat you yeah it's... no absolutely absolutely and and it... some sometimes i feel like i'm actively stealing from shonen jump every week <laughs> i know right it's like is this okay like are... <laughs> i know no i totally know what you mean and it and the manga industry specifically needs a lot more of that um that support official support as opposed to and I'm not saying that, you know, other mediums don't deserve that, you know, but there's a lot of kind of corporate greed and stuff and yeah. studios like Disney or Warner Brothers or whomever that just have unlimited amounts of money. And I'm not saying to steal their content or whatever, but uh, manga specifically, like there there was a time where it was kind of on dangerous territory as far as like, is it going to survive basically on life support yeah exactly and they talked about that on a recent uh weekly shonen jump uh podcast as well saying like it was a very dangerous time at one time and they really had to kind of figure out different outlets to get their media out there like you know and going international and going digital and kind of moving with the times and kind of getting new content in there in the magazine because um yeah like you said it was kind of and I'm not going to lie, like, although it is a much more healthy market right now, I think people don't realize how much damage something like that can do um, and kind of spreading like unofficial and things like that. It's yeah, um, there's nothing to say that day might still not come, you know, so I think uh, anything that we can do to support official and I'm not just saying that as an employee of Viz or freelancer for Viz, but just as a fan of anime and manga in general. And I guess on that note, we cover like a lot of ground today and thank one of the invite thank you for coming on the show and sharing like your experiences, you know, with translation, with Jujutsu Kaisen, and it's been incredible to talk to you. Oh, the, the pleasure, really, really, uh, the pleasure has been all mine. This is such a cool experience, and um, and uh, I, I really am a big fan of what you guys do and kind of spreading that positivity and that knowledge uh, with the medium to the fan base. It's uh, it's uh, really a lot of respect to you guys. Well, th thanks, Thank man. Thank you. And uh, we feel the same about the work you've been doing. Again, I really really enjoy Positive Juju and your YouTube channel. Of course, your work on Jujutsu Kaisen and so many series. And, uh, you know, I want to keep spreading the word and I want to ask you, like, where can people find all your stuff? Where can they follow you on Twitter? And uh, keep uh, experiencing more of that Positive Juju. 
Oh. Um, yeah, so um, I think a good outlet definitely starts with um, my Twitter, which is at uh, Steady Studios 20, uh, S-T-A-D-Y. S T U D I O S two zero the uh the numbers. That's where I kinda have a lot of my uh content as far as uh Judith Kaisen is concerned. Um but then kind of Steady Studios as a brand also does extend into my YouTube channel. So um although uh I'm not too sure if you can just do a quick search and it'll actually come up with my content, but if you were to put in Steady Studios Jujutsu Kaisen, for example, it'll definitely come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate any subscriptions um, and comments and things like that. But only if you really are a fan. Don't feel obligated to. Um, but uh, my podcast, Positive Juju, is finally available on uh, kind of the major outlets like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. So if you just do a quick search for Positive Juju, two words, and Juju, J-U-J-U. You can find it there, and uh, I know I'll be having, uh, with the recent news with the anime and kind of entering a new arc in the manga, I'll be having more content on that. And uh, eventually, we'll have to we'll have to do an episode on Jujutsu Kaisen and have you back on to actually like talk more about the series or something. Oh, oh yeah. absolutely! No, really, um, I I will be more than happy to do that. Uh, don't be a stranger as far as that's concerned, um, and uh, I might ask the same. So. <laughs> Like, hey, guys, I really want to talk about this. Can I just come on? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I, I might I might nudge you guys saying, hey, uh, I want to say something. Let me on. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Just oh, shoot us awesome, message. awesome. The, the, the feeling is mutual. Thanks once again to Stefan for coming on the show and spending his time with us to go over like his history with both manga translation, uh, his early formative experiences with anime and manga, and of course his thoughts on Jujutsu Kaisen. You know, that was really awesome to just get you know, his career history and his thoughts on the series. And uh, hopefully we can have him back to talk even more about Jujutsu Kaisen and other series at a later date, because it was incredible to talk with him. Mm-hmm. But I want to wrap up the show by giving up some uh, community shout outs. And I, first things first, of course, uh, we mentioned on the show, but of course, check out Stefan's Jujutsu Kaisen podcast, Positive Juju, for even more in-depth Jujutsu Kaisen discussion. And, of course, check out his YouTube channel, Steady Studios, for reviews of Japanese manga volumes and Japanese manga magazines, which are incredibly fun and informative, uh, to see him flip through them and highlight interesting things about like these books that we don't really get over here unless we import them. So it's really, really cool. And in addition to that, I want to spread out some community shoutouts to a few other interesting articles and videos that have come out in the last week. First off, I'll highlight another piece published on Anime Feminist by Coin Easterly called Women in the Kitchen, The Unequal Treatment of Professional Chefs in Anime and Beyond. And much like the title implies, the article is focused on how women's narratives in cooking manga and general cooking stories and media as a whole generally tend to focus on their interpersonal relationships more so than their skills as chefs and the unequal balance between women's 
stories in cooking manga and men's stories in cooking manga and so i thought that was a very fascinating read because it's not necessarily even just about like what that says about this problem within the cooking manga themselves but also in general how women are treated in the professional cooking world in general and just how these narratives in fiction kind of feed back into these unfortunate stereotypes that affect real world women in the professional career of cooking and professional chefs so i thought that this was a very good point to make and a very insightful article so definitely give that a read i also want to shout out wednesday dale cheddar who continues to make great videos on shonen jump manga manga plus titles and recently they did a video where actually i was also a part of i uh, provided like some commentary for and that was a video on i'm from japan so we basically kind of tried to figure out why does I'm from Japan even exist? Like, what was this manga made for? Is, just, is it purely an entertainment piece or are there political motivations behind it? And so my part in this video was mainly to kind of explore, like, from my research, taking my hypothesis about why I'm from Japan even got an anime, like, just so shortly into its run. And then Wednesday expands on that to give even further context about kind of the jingoism and nationalism that he finds troubling in I'm from Japan. And also just kind of what makes it a really strange work from that light. So... That was a really great video. I do apologize for Jail for basically hijacking the video for 10 minutes with my part of it. But uh, he really did a great job editing it and uh, doing even more additional research on top of that. So that was really awesome. Sorry, I just want to cut in real quick and also mention that uh, I was also in one of those videos as well. Uh, uh, Wensley Dale actually reached out to uh, – he, he, he reached out to both of us, but I volunteered um, – some time to basically give my two cents on uh, what I thought about uh, his hypothesis as far as uh, Hell Warden's Higuma goes, if anyone remembers that series from a couple months ago. And so, yeah, I, I don't, it's been a bit, so I don't, I don't really like fully remember what I talked about in that video. I think we basically talked about like, basically how in that series you had the main character who's constantly like, you know, working his ass off doing this job that he doesn't want to do and like, what kind of um, mental and emotional strain that might have on him and how that may sort of relate to to, to people who don't normally uh, take the time away from work to kind of, you know, give themselves a break and whatnot. Um, um, let, maybe we'll leave a link to that video as well, because I you, you mentioned how you kind of hijacked the video. I feel like I kind of we neither of us are capable of recording anything that's less than 10 minutes. So. <laughs> Yeah, we both kind of guilty of that same thing there. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave links to both those videos in the show notes. Yeah, another great video. Wednesday will make some really great videos. Definitely check out his stuff for some really great editorial content on Shonen Jump uh, and Manga Plus series. But also speaking of really cool, well-researched uh, editorials, my tool recently wrote an article on the oral history of case clothes, focusing on the English localization of Detective Conan in North America, from its earliest attempts trying to get put on Fox Kids to when Funimation got a handle of it and tried to sell it to Adult Swim and renamed the series to Case Clothes and made all sorts of other changes, like, of course, the 
infamous name changes and stuff, and then how that affected the manga release. So it was a really great, interesting history of case clothes of Detective Conan and the many attempts to make it big in North America and to localize it. And Mike reaches out to a lot of interesting people to kind of share their thoughts on why the series had the changes they did. Uh, like Conan's voice actress, Allison Victorin, uh, Caitlin Glass, who did multiple voices on the show, Shane Garrity, who we've had on the show to talk to Sing Sarah, who was, is also the editor of Case Closed, and the art director, Michael Farland, a ton, a ton of people he interviewed about to try and get a sense of the story, like a behind Case Closed localization and some of the top process that went into it. And it was a really fascinating read, a really fun read. It's like a big Detective Conan fan, see like just a kind of a, timeline of like how the series was marketed it tends to be localized how some sick failures led to other things happening and that has led to kind of the state we are in with detective conan now so i like the note that uh, mike ends on is that like he thinks case closer north america is kind of the same state that lupin was in it's like lupin was also tried to be shopped around by Funimation and Jenny on for a while and they couldn't make it work but then a decade later when Discotech got a hands of it you know they finally been able to bring more Lupin out and really help reestablish it and uh make it more accessible and available and uh popular in North America and I do like to note that perhaps with the right approach and the right timing Detective Conan could also see a resurgence in North America as well but it's a really great oral history. It's really great. Uh, series of really great, just like kind of historical retrospective on case closed in North America. So definitely want to check that out as well. It, it is worth mentioning just real quick that uh, TMS will be premiering uh, dubs of two more ca- uh, case closed movies. That being the Crimson Love Letter and the um, the episode one special that basically is a retelling of the first uh, episode or two of the case closed anime so i mean clearly tms it seems like they want to dub more so may- maybe hopefully we'll we'll see where that goes i don't know it's just just kind of an interesting note to make at the time of this recording and hopefully it'll be made available on home video or at least digital download if it's from tms i'm i see them putting it up on amazon like they have with uh some of their lupon stuff and also, this doesn't have to do with anything we just talked about, but we mentioned Shane and Garrity and Saint Seiya earlier, and uh, speaking of Saint Seiya, just announced that the second part of that first season is dropping on Netflix on January 23rd, so I guess we'll see how they handle the Silver Saints arc. That's the 2019 series with the CG Yeah, the 2019 one. series, yeah. So I felt, just wanted to mention that, because it just dropped, and I was like, well, it'll take a second to mention. So why not? Just wanted to make sure we were clear that, you know, we weren't talking about the old series, which is also up on Netflix. Yeah, it is. And uh, hopefully we'll get more of that, too. I think more people are looking forward to that, the the new one. All right. And I think with that, we should just end the episode and let people know where they can find us. Uh, Starting with you, Lum. 
Yeah, you can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and as Lum Ramayasha on a variety of places like Anime Revelation and Annie List. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, there you can find me and you can read my reviews on oldashcomic.com. I'm writing a ton of manga reviews. Recently, I put out a review of the latest one of Rin A from Uko Takahashi and I'm going to be writing some more upcoming reviews like previously mentioned i'll probably be reviewing a couple of the launch titles for the iridori aqua comics line so look forward to those coming out in the coming days if not out already by the time you're listening to this all right uh and as for me i'm colton you could find me on twitter at sniper king 323 I also host and produce a few other podcasts, which you can find links for over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. It's basically my personal blog, uh, where I have a page dedicated to links to different podcasts I, I am a part of, such as uh, such as this podcast, Life Lessons, the Intama Manga Cast, uh, One Podcast Prevails, which is a podcast about Detective Conan, and uh, as well as the Poltergeist Report, which is a, a, a podcast about Yu Yu Hakusho, available exclusively uh, on the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast Network at uh, ssanetwork.com. And uh, yeah, that's about it for my stuff in particular. And uh, as for all comic and manga mavericks and everything else, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks on alt-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you are a member of our Patreon over, at, again, over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, at the $2 tier, you will basically get access to early editions of the podcast uh, whenever we have those edited, uh, depending on when we have those edited. Um, and again, like we mentioned, at the $5 tier, you will get access to at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, we mentioned that already. And so, yeah, again, just subscribe to us over at Patreon. Uh, that's basically the best way to uh, to help support us and the podcast. Uh, but you can also follow us on uh, facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Uh, both of those, you'll get the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks, where we post different excerpts of uh, of the podcast, including different news pieces, uh, whatever manga we review, just all all sorts of discussions, and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Uh, email us anything about, uh, you know, just manga, the podcast. Uh, do you have any questions for Stefan Koza? Or, you know, what what do you think about Jujutsu Kaisen? What do you think about all the news we covered this episode? You know, e- email us with your thoughts, and we'll read them on the show. You can email us over at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, the artist formerly known as iTunes. And, uh, yeah, you know, just give us a rating, a review. Uh, it really helps the visibility of our show, and uh, it really just helps us grow in general. So so please go do that if you if you got the time there. And, uh, yeah, that's really going to be about it for the podcast. Again, good episode. Can't wait for the next one. Uh, this has been episode 105 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com and we will see you guys next time for episode 106 bye guys sayonara sayonara